get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, St. Louis. It's Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. I'm Michelle Smallman. Randy Carriker is off today, but don't worry. We have Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, hanging out here in studio with us. You can listen to Kerbs on all of the blues broadcasts here on 101 ESPN, but Kerbs is going to be hanging out with us for the next three hours. Good morning, Kerbs. How are you? I'm awesome now that I can hear you. You got your headset. Nice job, Michelle. You got your headset. I mean, uh, Emily. Great work. Over there. You good? Yeah. Was it turned down? No, I had it turned. I had it turned up. I just, uh, I had it turned up. I just, I think my quarter-inch jack here just wasn't working right. The old adapter. It's always interesting because all of us use this studio, uh-huh. and certain people sit in certain spots. So, right, my spot is occupied by someone from other shows, and it's always interesting when I come in and I sit in the different spots to try to figure out who sat there because sometimes the volume is cranked super high, sometimes it's cranked super low. Everyone has their yep. preferences about the volume and the headset situation when they sit in certain spots in the studio. Okay, so when I filled in last week with you, or two weeks ago yes. now, I think it was, right? Yeah, two weeks. That, that's, so, so I get into the studio, and I'm just, I had to wait for you to get in here. I'm like, oh, I don't know where I'm supposed to sit. Because where I'm sitting now is normally where you would sit. Right, because Randy yes. sits over there. Yes. So I didn't know, like, when you come in, do you like go to the Captain Picard seat where you know <laughs> Randy's there and you're, you know, you're you're telling everybody to engage starts over there. He's like, no, 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 this is my seat, and I'm going to run everything from over here. But you slid over there. Yeah, I don't know why, but the the person that intros the show and throws it to break, typically they're called the driver. Yeah. And this just seems like the driver's seat. So Randy sits here, Anthony Stalter sits here, BK sits here. I believe Danny Mac sits where where you are, which is yeah. where I normally he sits in between Randy and I when he joins us on Thursday and Friday, and then I believe he slides he over. over. So he might be the only driver that doesn't sit in this chair. So in the like in the broadcast booth, I always sit on the left. So okay. Joe, yeah, yeah, okay. Joe and Chase, Chaser was, and then Joe is always on my right. So, and in it, there's been just a couple of spots. Edmonton was one of those uh, spots. No, even in Edmonton, I, I'd slide, I'd slide to the left, um, and that's it's just a comfort thing. So, like, you can do it where you're on, you know, like the analyst is on my left, and I'm like, ah, but this is weird. Now, I'm, so uh, yeah, you, you pick your, you get your comfort seats. Oh, for sure. Go, but. Well, we have a lot to dive into today. Obviously, on a Monday, there's always a lot to get into, but especially when you're coming off a 
wild college football weekend. There's always stuff in the NFL, including the Chiefs falling to the Bills 38 to 20 yesterday. But Curbs, let's start with a little postseason baseball. Great action in the American League last night. We're going to talk about this later in the show, but some drama with Boston and Tampa Bay as there was a walk-off in the 13th inning. Boston leads that series now 2-1. to one. They end up winning 6-4. to four. Know the rules. Know the rules. We're going to try and find this clip for later in the show. Doug Harvey gave a Hall of Fame speech. He went into the Baseball Hall of Fame the same year that Whitey Herzog did. And and I was up there for the induction ceremonies. And Doug Harvey's speech actually impacted kind of my career a little bit here because he told a great story about how he would always argue with Earl Weaver about knowing the rules, and 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 he basically came out and, and Doug Harvey said this during speech. He goes, "Broadcasters, coaches, players, know the rules." And and what happened last night in Boston? You get to the 13th inning. Tampa hits a ball off the wall. It goes off the outfielder over the wall. Per the rules, it's a ground rule double. It's not an umpire call. It's it's not a it's not a it's not an option. It's not a, a an objective thing. And um, it's essentially a ground rule double. And once the umpires determined that yeah the ball accidentally went off the guy and out of play, it was a ground rule double. And uh, so we all learned something about the rule book that very few of us knew. Apparently very few of the players on the field knew not all that, but the um, the umpiring, umpiring crew got it right. And yeah. boy, boy, what a tough thing though. You're, you're, you're Tampa Bay. You think you got the run. This run is easily going to score. He's got to go back. Then they hold him off and then you lose on a, on a home run. <laughs> Not great. That stings. Not great. Well, a lot of people in St. Louis watching the later game last night. I, I'm assuming a lot of people were watching because of Tony Larusa, and I'm assuming a lot of other people in St. Louis were watching because Adam Wainwright was in the booth with Adam right. Amit and, and AJ well, Krasinski. And then, and then other people were watching because if you have Dish Network and you thought you might want to watch the football game, Dish Network <laughs> uh, still can't figure out how to keep channels on the air, so NBC is off all Dish Network customers think. So you might as well just turn on the baseball game and watch it anyway. There you go. Yeah. Well, it was an interesting game. The White Sox ended up erasing a 5-1 to one deficit. It was a great scene in Chicago. You know, I know that their field is called Guaranteed Rate Field, and it's, it's always going to be the sell to me. Just like yes. Miller Park is always going to be Miller Park. I'm sure a lot of people will always look at Enterprise Center and call it the Keel Center. There's just some names that this that stick with you, so yes. I always look at it as the sell whenever we're talking about the White Sox and, and their home ballpark. But so you look at it as the sell. You don't even look at it as Kaminsky Park. Kaminsky and the, and the sell. I okay, don't know. Right. Either either one, I'm good with. But at, at least you're buying into some field. of the naming rights part. That's yeah, okay. For yeah, for sure, for sure. But it was their first home playoff game in 13 years, and it was an unbelievable scene. They ended up winning the game 12 to six. There was so much back and forth within this game, and Houston is leading the series right now, 12 to one. Or excuse me, two to one, not 12 to one. Yeah. Well, th- think of yeah, and you th- you're watching that game, and you think, okay, they're done. You know. They're done. A good year for the White Sox is is, is going to go by. And, and the amazing thing is Houston's doing this without the trash cans, right? Or so, buzzers. Or, or buzzers. You Allegedly. know, they've, you know, El, El Tuve's jerseys are clean. So, and and then that happens. And you, you, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. Adam Wainwright references during during the game. 
you know, and, and this is what's great about sports. You see things you don't expect to see. We what we just talked about in the Red Sox game, mm-hmm. right? Guarantee it pretty much, unless you're watching a game at Wrigley Field. The only other place I could think that this really reared its head is if the ball goes off your foot, you know, as an outfielder and into the Ivy at Wrigley Field and it becomes a ground rule double, right? And, and, and Fenway Park might be the only other place that it could happen because of that, you know, the really short three and a half foot wall out there. You know, but then then you flip and you watch that game. And you're like, okay, they're done. You know, the momentum. They're down to nothing. And then they come roaring back. And that's that's what makes sports awesome. You don't know what you're going to see. Like, you could be losing the game 12 nothing, right? And could still see one of the greatest defensive plays you've ever seen in your life. For sure. You know, and that's that's why we watch. That's why we watch. A lot of stuff to get into today about the St. Louis Blues as they get closer to opening the regular season. But we saw some roster decisions over the weekend, Curbs. Yeah. And let's get into this a little bit right now. How much of what we saw with the roster decisions that Doug Armstrong had to make over the weekend was player performance based? And how much of it was influenced by the salary cap? Uh, that is a fantastic way of looking at this. Uh it's got to be, it's clearly a mix of both, all right? And we'll get into James Neal signing a little later on in the show. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that around around 8.15 for folks that really want to delve into that one with us. But you have a situation where the Blues are up against the cap. They're going to get a little cap relief at the beginning of the year because of Oscar Sundquist's health situation. So that'll give you some early season long-term cap relief. That's why even with keeping Tarasenko in the fold, they're able to manage what they do. But if you turn around and you sign James Neal because of the camp that he had, you have to do two things. One, you had to clear some space for it. And then two, you have to manage assets. So let's take a look real quick, Michelle. Let's say a Mackenzie McEachern. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mackenzie McEachern and Logan Brown were just sent down to Springfield in the American Hockey League. Both had to clear waivers. Now that's important. Because it means that 31 other teams had a chance to claim them. Get these players for free. So the player like Logan Brown that the Blues acquired from Ottawa in the trade for Zach Sanford. Another NHL team could have had this a former 11th overall pick for free. Now it means they would have had to keep them on the NHL roster. Or have them try to clear waivers in their organizations. But nonetheless, that's that's how that works. So they cleared. But Mackenzie McEachern didn't do anything really in the preseason. And when he had a really good game, that that last game that he played, uh, it was a little too late. Mm-hmm. And yet he he's on a one-way contract, right? So so he's going to get paid nine hundred thousand dollars to play in the American League, all right. And because James Neal outplayed him, and other guys showed more and did more, he ends up, you know, basically losing his NHL career for the time being, and has to go down and and, and essentially re-earn it. You've there was nothing distinguishing about what he was doing on the ice to be a difference maker. A guy like James Neal was. So you manage the cap and you free up 900000 by him no longer being on the NHL roster. Right? Now, the, the, the other part of this is a guy going down like Dakota Joshua, right? Who, in my opinion, I, I really, I'd have lost money on this. I thought, I, I penciled him at the end of last year. I liked what he did in camp as our fourth line Fourth line centerman. So did I. I thought he'd be there. Right. Except you re-signed Tyler Bozak. Mm-hmm. Right. And the veteran aspect of what this team needs to start this season, knowing Craig Berube, all this other stuff factors in there. So because you could send Dakota Joshua down without having to clear waivers, asset management, you're keeping your depth. And so I guarantee you the conversation with Dakota Joshua, for example, was you played well enough to be here. I know this sucks. 
you're going down for a little while. Play hard because you will be a call-up. And who knows, when you get called up, now you may stick for good. So it's a little bit of asset management and cap management. And then in some cases, depending on the player, like we were just talking about, it is player performance-based, too. They, they, they go hand-in-hand. Hand. Yeah, Army always has to figure out how to put together the puzzle. Not well, only I, the financial puzzle, but the talent puzzle as well. Listen, years and years ago, when uh, some fans may remember Matt Walker, and, uh, they, and, and he... Uh, he, he was ready to play in the National Hockey League as a defenseman. Larry Plo sent them down, and he said, this is simply asset management. You know, if we put him on waivers, we're going to lose him. I need the depth in the organization. There's just not room for him in this roster right now, but we are going to need it. And next time they called him up and he stayed for good. Asset management's part of it. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Michelle Smallman. We're going to talk a lot about the Blues today. Uh, we're going to get more into James Neal and what he could bring to this Blues team. But coming up next, there was an interesting story, a very interesting story that came out over the weekend from Pro Football Talk. Could we begin another NFL team here in St. Louis? Would you want another NFL team here in St. Louis? We're going to tell you what Pro Football Pro Football Talk had to say about that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Well, Curbs, over the weekend, I saw a story at ProFootballTalk.com, and I emailed it to myself because I went, hmm, we're going to even talk about this on the show. Because you needed more emails, I'm sure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Trust me. I, I email myself tweets and stories yep. and stuff just to compile. I got my own text chain. Yes. Like, I, I yes. text myself things. Well, this one got bumped to the top because... We've talked a lot on this show because Randy is an expert when it comes to the Rams and the relocation lawsuit. And Pro Football Talk really seems to be the only national outlet that's covering this with any sort of regularity. And they're telling the truth about what could happen in this situation. A lot of the coverage that they've had has has talked about how St. Louis has won at every turn here in this case. But when I see this headline it makes me stop in my tracks based on what we have discussed on this show and what we know to be true. So the headline, this was posted by Mike Florio on October 9th, so a few days ago. The headline reads, could St. Louis emerge from Rams relocation case with an expansion team? And I went, hmm, what? So I scrolled down to read it, and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially they're talking about how the powers that be in the NFL are realizing how badly they're losing in this case and how they should have hit the panic button a while ago, but they're getting to that point now, and they're trying to think of settlement because they want to avoid this going to trial in any which way because they do not want the main decision makers and powers that be in the NFL, Roger Goodell, Jerry Jones, Stan Kroenke, etc., to have to go to trial and to have to be on the stand and answer really tough questions. <laughs> that will be pretty embarrassing for them. And there's a lot of money at stake and here. And under oath with the threat of perjury. Correct. Huge. Correct. So I'm going to read directly from the piece. Currently, it's too late to avoid a trial. It could soon be too late to avoid a massive verdict. And while the league seems to be content to willing to take its luck at the appellate level, the process only kicks in after a Seinfeld finale style trial featuring multiple owners being placed under oath and asked aggressive questions that may potentially twist them in knots and expose them to widespread scrutiny, criticism and embarrassment. If the NFL would promise a new team within, for example, five or 10 or 15 years, the league would likely find another place to park a new team 
bumping the league from 32 to 34 franchises. So essentially, Pro Football Talk is suggesting that in league circles and people that know, they have found information that leads them to believe that the NFL could potentially offer up an expansion team to St. Louis as part of a settlement for this lawsuit. And we're going to give our opinions on this, but we want to hear from you. Air Comfort Service text line 65780, or of course, you can always leave us a mic drop on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. If this was presented to St. Louis and to the legal team in St. Louis involved in this case, how do you feel as a fan? Do you want an expansion team? Would you support another team in the NFL? Or do you think we've already gone down this road several times and I don't want to support that brand? We're very curious because this is such a great sports town. People loved football when it was here. But I wonder uh, where the emotions are when it comes to football in St. Louis. Well, we have a football team, right? And that's City SC. And I, like, I'm pretty black and white on this one, Michelle. I, I don't know. You, I'll tell you what. You go first. I think when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And we know who the NFL is. We know that they do not want to be here. We know that they do not value St. Louis. We, we know that they will burn St. Louis any chance that they get, that this is just them trying to cover themselves from, as I just read, embarrassment and financial implications, that this is not because they think that this is a good market and that they will help St. Louis thrive in this situation. So, no, I would not want to do business with the NFL again, even though I think this is a great sports town and the NFL is king and St. Louis should be in that conversation. And I also wonder where the money is coming from when the NFL made St. Louis go through this entire charade of keeping a team here. They burned a lot of corporate bridges. And I don't know who the ownership group would be, but I don't know if an owner who is willing to take on an expansion team is going to finance a stadium 100%. And I can't imagine that the corporate sponsors here in St. Louis or the powers that be in the government would want to get in bed with the NFL again, especially when you have a wonderful organization jumping off with a wonderful ownership group in City SC. So... I would say thanks, but no thanks. The so so for me, it's pretty simple. No way in hell. Like no, for for the exact reason that you just that you just stated. First off, this I believe that the city of St. Louis has a greater purpose here. I really believe that they have to look at it from a bigger picture. You have basically taken Muhammad Ali to the 12th round, and you are beating the crap out of him, okay? <laughs> That's what you're doing here, right? And and the NFL has never had these kind of losses through the legal system, right? To the point that you have owners getting fined right now because books haven't been opened. I mean, that's pretty huge from a damage standpoint to say you've got to turn your books over. I mean, you know that they didn't even want to get to that point. And I know it's all got to stay confidential once they do. But the point is, you know some things are going to get out because when the trial comes out, things are going to get asked. All right? The league clearly doesn't want it. There is a reason the league doesn't want these things answered. Right? For sure. And that is the reason you have to make sure if you're the city of St. Louis— you ask them, look, you lost 15, 17 million bucks, all right, trying to keep the team. You sold your soul in the contract to get the team in the first place. There was an out. It wasn't, this isn't about whether or not the Rams actually had the out. It was how the Rams did it and didn't do things in good faith and did so in a fraudulent manner, all right? Having said that, they've shown, as you said, their true colors. 
right? We don't you, you don't you don't need the NFL here. Not having the NFL here open the door and help us, I believe, even more become a three pro team again with City SC. Uh, there's only so so I actually believe we have to see this thing through. I'd rather lose the lawsuit hmm. and get zero, but having through that lawsuit exposed more of what the NFL is. And I because I somebody you have taken it this far. So you you're right now. You're the, you're doing it for Buffalo, where they're threatening to move, right? You're doing it for um, well, you're doing it for San Diego. Their, their owner decided to. You're doing it for Chicago. That's the one I was thinking of. You know, okay, well, we're going to move it from Soldier Field, you know, to here. Like to Arlington Heights. At, at some point in time, you've got to get to the point where you're the NFL, Michelle, where where these cities say, hey, we're, we're gonna, we got to quit holding things over our head. So us extorting an expansion team out of them just so they don't have to answer the questions would be bogus. The only possible scenario, if this isn't inevitable, that this were to happen, that I would even remotely – mentally accept a, a new team from the NFL is if the NFL team buys the land or the NFL league, the league itself buys the land, mm-hmm. builds a $2 billion stadium, right? Then turns around, right? And gives that stadium, right? And that land back to the city for a lease in perpetuity for $1 a year, Right. And then at that point in time, the league still covers a certain amount of maintenance and repair on that building for a term of no less than 30 years, right? To keep it in the top five, same terms that, that, that allowed Stan to leave, right? Something like that, the only possible way if that was inevitable. We're getting a ton of reaction to this. Let's get to a few quickly. This one curves from the 636. The NFL is a big group of dishonest scumbags. If they are offering an NFL team that will be owned by a great local St. Louis company, then we're in. If there's a chance that they could leave again, we're out. Well, I think that this is the NFL trying to find a solution that works for them. And once that once they have figured out a, a path to whatever they want, you don't think that eventually, 20 years down the road, they could threaten to move again? Of course they could. What's an expansion team worth right now in the NFL? Okay, if, if an NHL expansion team was $600 million, right? 500 for Vegas, 600 for Seattle. Okay, an expansion team in, in the NFL, well, $1.5 billion? Probably, Probably. Somewhere, somewhere around okay. there. So somewhere right around there? Right. I think you can. I think the award you could get in winning this lawsuit could be even more than that. Right. Oh, it could so be in the multiple they, Bs. If it is possible that they would consider giving you an expansion, because there's no way you're good. You can't say we're going to give you an expansion team and then charge you the expansion fee, right? I mean, it, so that tells you how bad the league doesn't want this thing to go. If that's the case, that they're dangling that carrot. Right. The league wins. By the way, they win if they do that. Of course, because now they, they get this market. That's they they get. You got to see this out. You got to see this out. Beat them, box them, knock them cold. And it's the business part will still come through if you really want an expansion team. And they decide, I guarantee you, they decide to expand. They'll look at St. Louis anyway. This is from the 636. You two guys sound like 15-year-old girls who got burned by her boyfriend, then says, I'm never going to date again, and I'm going to stay single the rest of my life. Quit acting like a baby and get a team so this city becomes a major league city again. Nobody gives a flying bleep about soccer. Well, 636, you sound like someone whose significant other cheats on them all the time. And then when your friends say this is bad for you, you say, you don't understand. You don't know what we have. I love her so much. I don't care if she's sleeping around. Yeah, she loves me. I'm telling you, that, that... 
that person I saw her with at the bar. That's just a friend. You don't know. Are you kidding? We have. This is what drives me nuts. This is I, called using your head, not your butt. This organization does not care about you, 636. They don't care about you. You may love football, and that's great. Why would you want to support an organization that doesn't want you? They don't want you. Do I need to say that again? They don't want you. The only reason that they would present this is to cover their own rear ends. It's for their benefit, not because they think St. Louis is great and because they want you as a fan and because they understand your unwavering support for them. It's so they don't have to say things in a court of law that could put them in a bad position or expose themselves or that they don't have to cut a check out of their own pocket. They don't want It's too early you. in the morning for me to have to think for all of you out there, so... Anyway, you know. so we have a ton of reaction coming in. We're going to revisit this. Send us a mic drop on the Ryan Shield, Rhino Shield mic drop feature in the 101 ESPN app. We want to hear your voice. We're going to play those coming up shortly. But coming up next with Chris Kerber and Michelle Smallman here on 101 ESPN, we are going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and talk a little hockey with Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. He is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. I'm Michelle Smallman. Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, is hanging out with us all morning long. We're going to get more of your reactions about the pro football talk report that the NFL could be considering. What's the word we want to use, Kerbs? Um, Floating an expansion. Uh, The idea. A a bribe. bribe. (laughs) There you go. That's a way to put it. Of an expansion team here in St. Louis. We want to hear from you, so be sure to get us those mic drops on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. But right now, let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and talk a little hockey with Greg Wyshynski, ESPN's senior NHL writer. He's the host of Puck Soup, the podcast on ESPN. And be sure to follow him on Twitter at Wyshynski. Good morning, Greg. Thanks for taking the time to pop on with us. How you doing? Hey, it's my pleasure. Look, as a uh, New York Jets fan, uh, I think I have an expansion team that you can have right now. So, uh... <laughs> how is how is it being a Jets fan, Greg? Oh my God! Uh, I, I, listen, we don't. This segment is a is it is timed, right? We don't have uh, several days. I, I'll tell you this right now. When I was in college, I roomed with a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and he asked me the same question once. He's like, "What? Why is it so bad being a Jets fan?" I talked throughout the the entire night. Remember the, the scene from the movie Airplane where they cut back to the woman and she's a skeleton because the guy next to her on the plane had been talking for so long? That's basically like what it is to try to explain to somebody what it's like being a Jets fan. It's unbelievable, just quickly here. It doesn't matter what players are there, what the coaching staff is. You can interchange personnel. It always seems like the Jets just find a way to be a hot mess. It's kind of remarkable. Yeah. That is well, but the difference between us and like the the you know previous incarnations of the Browns or teams like that is that we we lose in a, the way I explain being a Jets fan to be honest with you is um, the excitement is finding new and inventive ways to lose like you know butt fumbles and all this other nonsense <laughs> like it's always the, the team's always terrible and you know it's never going to amount to anything but. 
it's always interesting to see what new stuff they come up with when it comes to futility. That's true. Well, Greg, here in St. Louis, we thought the Blues were cursed. And as you know, that wasn't the case. They ended up winning the Stanley Cup in 2019. So there's hope for you still. So don't lose faith. The Jets (laughs) could turn around. But I want to stick with the Blues here. So Curbs and I were getting ready to talk about this coming up next. But James Neal, who had a great preseason with the Blues, has agreed to terms with the club on a one-year contract worth $750,000. He was here on a PTO and you know, from the, the first game where he had a hat trick has really shown that he's got something there. What do you think James Neal could bring to the Blues? Oh, listen, I think anytime you can add a veteran goal scorer to your lineup that, that clearly has some determination, it's always going to be a good thing. I think he fits well with the culture of this team um, and, and the way they like to play. And, and like you said, the, the thing I love about it the most is that hunger. I mean, this is a guy who I, I've talked to in the past and when he's been motivated, when he feels he's been knocked off the mantle, it's usually when he plays the best. And, and I rem- I'm reminded of when he was drafted by <clears throat> the Vegas Golden Knights in the expansion draft. I remember talking to him after that about the idea of, well, you know, the National Predators, they dumped you in the expansion pool, man. And he's like, yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> and so the idea of him being motivated to, uh, to kind of reclaim his reputation and everything else, I think makes it that a, a pretty good signing for the Blues. And obviously you can't beat the price. Greg, I'm watching, so I'm at practice most of the days during camp, right? We, we had eight preseason games and working through those, and I'm seeing a really deep St. Louis Blues team. I think a team that is a lot deeper, and, and, and I understand the, the questions that the team has on the defensive, you know, with their defensive core right now. But I'm I I know what I'm seeing, and I'm I, I listen to a lot of the national you know talk about the team and and the question marks that they have, and I'm not quite seeing the same thing. What is your perspective from afar on just kind of where this team sits in relation to the Central Division? Well, you know, you, you talk about the defense core, and obviously for me, it starts with a, a healthy Colton Pareko and uh, and just what he brings and and what they lack when he's out of the lineup and. So that's one exciting thing for me, at least. I like him a lot as a person and as a player. So um, hopefully he remains in the lineup. You know, the, the moves that they made at the forward spot, I think, are, are pretty good. I think they're upgrades in some ways. You know, J.D. Schwartz was a guy that had a lot of fans and uh, had a lot of ability. But at the end of the day, I always felt he ran way too hot and cold, to be honest with you, as a scorer. And you bring in Pavel Busnevich, you bring in uh, Brandon Saad. I think these are two... Uh, reliable offensive players. In Busnevich's case, I'm, I'm still shocked that the Rangers decided to move on from this guy for salary cap reasons. I think he's an excellent complementary offensive player, a player who showed that he can play throughout the lineup, including up on the top line with the best offensive talent on the team. So you, he's a real asset, and I think the Blues are smart to uh, acquire him and also commit to him with an extension. So when I look at the Blues as an outsider, I see this. I see a team that is squarely in the top four in the Central Division, which means four teams that are better than Chicago, despite the bizarre notion <laughs> that Chicago is going to make the playoffs. I think, I think Colorado, Minnesota, Winnipeg, and St. Louis are a tier above the other teams in that division. But I also see a team that I'm, I'm waiting to see exactly what facet of the team ends up being the better facet of the team. I mean, I was this was an average team in every way last year, and, and by that I mean they – they scored as much as they gave up. And, and that's not necessarily a recipe for success in this league. you got to be better offensively than you are defensively or better defensively than you are offensively. And so, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see which part of the team 
um, levels up, and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the goal scoring based on the uh, personnel they brought in. ESPN senior NHL writer and host of Puck Soup, the podcast on ESPN, Greg Wyshynski, joining us on 101 ESPN. And Greg, a lot of us thought that Vladimir Tarasenko would not be with the Blues when camp broke, but Vladdy is here. He says he's committed to the team. Everyone seems to think that this is going to, or, or that the end of this story has not arrived yet. So what do you make of Vladimir Tarasenko, and what do you think Doug Armstrong's options are with Vladdy? I'm uh, baffled. <laughs> He's still there. Like, like at the end of the, the end of the off season, Cam and I looked up and I'm seeing quotes from Tarasenko being like, "Yeah, I'm back at camp." I'm like, "Oh my god, he's back at camp." Um, no, I, I. It's such a strange situation to have a player request a trade out of town uh, and for that to not come to fruition, and then have him come back and have everybody kind of being like, "All right, we're moving on." Um, you know, the, the just kind of throwing some stuff at the wall. I mean, maybe it is a situation where some teams were hesitant to make a, a significant deal for Vladdy to the to the liking of, of Doug Armstrong without seeing him in action for a little bit more, trying to see if, you know, he is going to be an improved uh, player from, you know, last season. Um, but, you know, maybe it's also a case where some triage was done behind the scenes. Maybe the grass isn't greener in other places, and maybe this relationship at the end of the day works out. I don't know, but, uh, you know, from all the chatter and, and through my conversations um, with with his camp throughout the offseason and, and when the whole thing kind of exploded during the playoffs, I'm legitimately shocked that he's still a member of the Blues, but here we are. Greg, I, lo- I look at the St. Louis Blues cap situation, and I know they're a couple years separated from having won the Stanley Cup, but you still have another year after this one with Ryan O'Reilly and, and his pay is only right now, his average is seven and a half million. And I know even Vladimir Tarasenko, while he's getting paid around nine to nine and a half this year, his cap hit is 7.5 top to bottom and Colton Pareko with a new contract starting in. And yes, we have to wait and see how the long-term aspect, even at 6.5 works out for Krug or Justin Falk, but top to bottom, the St. Louis blues have a team that is deep, that is competitive, that could compete for a Stanley Cup if, if, if the pieces fall into place right. And they don't have a player with an average annual value over $7.5 million. Has Doug Armstrong managed the cap as well as any general manager in the league? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's done a heck of a job. I mean, you know, there, there are definitely some contracts there that other teams would look at with a jealous eye as far as the amount of money committed to these players and the amount of um, output that they have. Um, and in this league, that's great. I mean, you know, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in these negotiations and, and see if it is sort of a, hey, you know, for the betterment of the team, we need you in at this number kind of stuff, uh, because it does seem that everybody has kind of fallen into the line, and, and, and that happens. I mean, good general managers are able to sell that program to their players. I remember um, during the New Jersey Devils' heyday of winning Stanley Cups, and this was pre-cap, but it was also a time when the team didn't really want to spend a lot on, on players, and Lou Lamarillo was famous for being like, this is the number we're giving you. This is the number that we can give you. And this is the number that's going to keep us competitive. And that last phrase can sometimes be a very convincing thing for a player. I mean, they all want to get their money. They all want to get paid. They all want to, you know, maximize their earning potential as players, but they'd, they'd like to maximize their time as a contender and maximize their chances in trying to win the Stanley cup. So if you can sell them on the idea of coming at this number and we can keep this guy or coming at this number and we can do X, Y, Z, Sometimes it can be a very motivating factor for for players that, you know, for them, the premium is on being a competitive team versus simply just making top dollar. All right. The season opens on October 12th. One of the key games is going to be Seattle at Vegas. That's a cool way to start it. (laughs) But, but one of the, 
one of the big games that, that I think fans have been waiting for for a long time. And I think it's great that this will be the game that launches TNT's coverage. And, and, I'm, and I'm excited to see what, what, what your group with ESPN does, what TNT does, and how this all just helps raise the, the visibility of the league. But the New York Rangers at the Washington Capitals, do you think we see Ryan Reeves in this game? And, and the fact that how lucky are we that at least the injury he suffered a week ago is not serious and he's still being listed as day-to-day? Yeah, he's day to day. We'll see if he if he uh, he, if he appears in this one. Uh, I mean, Tom Wilson from the other side is healthy. Hopefully, Alex Ovechkin is healthy. The Capitals right. are saying he's day to day. So, I mean, I think we're all fingers crossed that a it's nothing long term with Ov with the injury he suffered in the preseason, and, and b that he's available for what's a really important game for the launch of the new TV uh, contract on the other network. Um, but listen, I think anytime the Rangers and, and Capitals play this season. Uh, we are girding our loins for some fireworks. We know that there's going to be comeuppance. We know that there's going to be some tension. And we know that Tom Wilson's going to be enemy, enemy number one. And I am one of these people that thinks that the Rangers definitely course-corrected too hard uh, after what happened with Tom Wilson last year. I mean, bringing in Ryan Reeves is one thing. Barkley Goudreau is a functional player and played really well on the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning's uh, much higher the checking line. But, I mean, he's a guy that throws a punch. Sammy Blay, you know, same deal. So, there's a, there was a few moves they made in the offseason that I think were an overcorrection to toughness, which seems very much like a mandate that came down from management after what happened in the Tom Wilson affair last year with Panarin. So we'll see what happens on Wednesday. I mean, I, I do know that in talking to the Department of Player Safety during the offseason, they're obviously going to have eyes on this game. I don't know if it's going to get to the point that the NHL does sometimes when there's a line brawl and then the teams play the next time where – you know, the, the, the NHL will send them a message saying, okay, any shenanigans here and, and we're going to throw the book at you. They've done that in the past. Um, but listen, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's, I think the subtext to your question is it's pretty good for the NHL to have an absolute banger of a circus yep. <laughs> out of the gate for their new, their, their new, uh, their new uh, network contract with TNT. Yeah, don't. Yeah. And the edict won't come until after that game. There will be no edict before that game. The edict won't come until after that game. Yeah, potentially. It's I mean, you know, they'll keep go. their eyes on it. They're going to let it obviously. go. Yeah, I think they'll let it go for sure. But, I mean, I think they just don't want people to step over the line. You know, hockey's in, in a place where fighting has pretty much declined every season. There may have been an uptick last year slightly, but last year was an anomalous year in a lot of ways. Um, it's not the same league that even it was, you know, five years ago as far as fighting. Um, so these occasional dust-ups, I think the NHL is fine with it. They just don't want it to be – something that's very uh, over, overly injurious or, or, or anything like that. And, and I think they, they're okay with a fight. They're probably not okay with, you know, Tom Wilson getting cross-checked in the face or anything like that. ESPN senior NHL writer and the host of the Puck Soup podcast, Greg Wyshynski, with us on 101 ESPN. Follow him on Twitter, at Wyshynski, and tweet him something nice today because, as he revealed, he's a Jets fan. So be nice to Greg today. <laughs> Greg, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I'm sure we'll talk to you throughout the season. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Take care. That's Greg Wyshynski here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, get those texts into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's time for Take It or Leave It here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, Michelle Smallman with you this morning on 101 ESPN. We're going to talk much more about the Pro Football Talk report that the NFL could be considering 
trying to settle out of court with with the St. Louis relocation lawsuit. And part of that settlement could potentially include an expansion team here in St. Louis. We want to hear from you. Would you accept an expansion team here in St. Louis as a fan? Is that something that you even want? Send us a text, 65780, or, of course, a mic drop on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. Curbs, I'll get things started. So last night in the Astros-White Sox game, you had Adam Wade right in the booth with A.J. Pruszynski and right. Adam Amin. Take it or leave it. It's really unfair that Adam Wainwright can be exceptionally good at everything that he does. Oh, I'm going to take it. I'm absolutely going to take it. awesome in the booth. Yeah. You know, I think for me, a guy like Adam Wainwright has discovered just a great approach to everything. Uh, Yeah. Positivity, hard work, right? And have fun. And and those, if, if you have those three things... You're, you're, you're going to find you're going to find your niche. You're going to find your way. And if when he when he does officially retire and ends up in the broadcast world, if he's allowed to just be himself and be his personality, he's going to be great at it. He's like the Beyonce of baseball. Whatever he tries his hand at, he succeeds. <laughs> That's right. He's unbelievable. <laughs> oh, I'm going to I'm going to pitch until I'm 40 at a high level. Check. Open a foundation that helps people all across the globe. Check. Pop in the booth, which is not an easy thing to do. And be exceptionally great at it. Check. He's taken. You know what he's done. I mean, look. Look. He's been fortunate. He's been fortunate to to become a major league baseball player. By fortunate, I'm gonna take like worked hard to be that. Okay, but uh, you have to understand. Sometimes in life, you, you figure out where's your platform. Okay. What, what could it be? And where's your voice beyond what you do? What do you want to impact? How, how do you want to do it? You know, how do you, you know, even like, like Michelle, how do you use your platform as an on-air personality beyond this studio, right? Mm-hmm. We're in here for three hours a morning. What are you doing the rest of the day? And, and how can this platform help you achieve and help others? And, and Adam Wainwright has done that. I, it's, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm, he's given so much of himself to this community, this town, this organization in the St. Louis Cardinals that, um, you know, the successes that are coming beyond the field for him are well earned and deserved. Absolutely. All right, you ready for this one? Yes. All right, take it or leave it. This Wednesday, William Shatner is flying into space on Blue Origin, which is basically Jeff Bezos' uh, version of SpaceX. Okay. okay. We got the billionaires fighting to get people into space. Sure, sure. And my God, I just hope that. You know, they're able to, you know, with kind of space travel becoming a little more public, I, I hope that the safety, you know, stays in there. But anyway, Captain Kirk is finally going into space. So take it or leave it. At some point in time, while William Shatner is in the suborbital space flight on Wednesday, it was supposed to be Tuesday. Because of winds, they backed it up to Wednesday. Okay. Right. He will reference Leonard Nimoy and Spock. Um, Publicly. Are you talking about Star Wars or Star Trek? That'd be Star Trek. Okay, never seen either of them. Uh, But I'm going to take that because why wouldn't you if you're William Shatner reference your role in Star Trek when you're going to space? It seems like a slam dunk. That's why you're going. Yeah, that's why you're going. You got to reference your good buddy there in in Spock. I I think that this is awesome. Would you go to space? Oh, God, in in a heartbeat. See, I'm good on that. I went to space camp as a kid. I mean, uh, like, I mean, I... This is that's my hobby and, and one of my passions to follow. Mm-hmm. I went down to, uh, well, it's probably been about five years ago uh, now. I, I I got accepted into this NASA social program for a flight. I went down and saw one of the SpaceX rocket launches. We toured all the different facilities. It blew up. 
I mean, it, it literally it, it exploded. They had a, they had a Yikes. problem during the second stage, and we were in the debris field, so we had to jump on the buses, get back to the. But no, yeah, I, I would one thousand percent go. Christie's told me she would hate me forever if I did. Can't believe I would. She would. I uh, would actually leave them and risk it. I'm like risking it. Gotta go. Love See, you, kids. I'm I'm good being earthbound. The amount of prep you would have to do to get there, then you have to eat all those space snacks. I, I imagine it to be like an accelerated version of when you go up in the arch. You get up there and you're like, wow, it's so cool. I'm up here. Everything looks so small. And then you're like, okay, that's it. The end. I imagine you would, There's do, no way. You would do all of this prep. You'd get up in space and you go, okay, there's the earth. I've seen this photo on the background of my desktop in 1995. The end. Let's go back down. You're outside. It's one of the coolest, <laughs> it's one of the coolest things about Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, right? At one point in time, right, those are the only two, like, people outside of the world. I, 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 think, it's, I think it's cool as hell. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it I'm is a rare experience. I'm all passionate about it. That's Absolutely. True. All right, that's Chris Kerber. I'm Michelle Smallman. Let's get to your text here on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Emily. From the 503, take it or leave it, the Tampa Bay Rays fan base is upset, and the three of them might not even watch the game tonight. That's true. All three might boycott. Oh, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, I'll take it that that their entire fan base is upset. <laughs> they, now, now, don't don't look. It's a rule. It's a it is a black and white rule that none of us knew about. Congratulations to the umpiring crew for knowing it. That's their job. But uh, hard still. That's a tough pill to swallow. From the two one seven, take it or leave it. Scott Perunovich will be the first blue called up from the AHL. Uh, ooh, the first blue. Yep, first blue. It's a good one. I will. Uh, I will go ahead. I'll go ahead and take that. I'll take it just because uh, the way defenseman and depth you need. So I'll take it. Who do you think will be the second? Dakota Joshua. That's what. That's who I was. Uh, Considering as my yeah. original pick, I think it'll be one of those two. Yeah, I, I think they're going to have enough forward depth to be able to manage it for a little while. But you, you don't. Yeah, I think the first call could be a defenseman. Good, good one there. From the two one seven, take it or leave it. NFL defense has figured out Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City offense. I think you have to take that. The Chiefs are not look good right now. They don't. And I and I also think that they're putting themselves in tough positions, some self inflicted wounds there. But the Chiefs, they got some stuff to work on. I wonder how much of the problems that they're having on offense is because defensively they're not very good. They're, so I saw this stat where they, uh, the, the greatest show on turf, so the greatest offense the NFL has ever seen, they average just over seven point something yards per play, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, the Chiefs are allowing through what the first five or six games of this year, they're allowing 11 yards per play, the defense. So, put so they're that turning in, put every that team into, into the greatest show on turf. <laughs> and, into something better than the greatest show on turf. So I do wonder how much the defensive side of things is truly impacting the pressure on the offensive side. And then Mahomes trying to do too much, like mm-hmm. he, another pick six that he threw. So I... Um, yeah, I'll take it. They, they stink right now. All right. Thanks, Emily. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Michelle Smallman. Coming up next, we're going to talk more about Pro Football Talk's report that the NFL could be considering giving St. Louis an expansion team as part of a settlement for the relocation lawsuit. Would you want that? We're going to hear from you, your texts, and your mic drops on the NFL potentially returning to St. Louis. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
Good morning. It's Kara and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. I'm Michelle Smallman. Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN, hanging out with us all morning. And Kerber's our topic of the day is a story that came out over the weekend on Pro Football Talk that essentially said the NFL and Stan Kroenke and his buddies are losing this relocation lawsuit so badly that they're now in panic mode and they are trying to figure out a way to, for lack of a better term, save their butts on this one because they do not want this to go to trial. They do not want to have to take the stand. They do not want to have to reveal certain things about themselves and about the league operations. And I think most importantly, when it comes to the NFL, they're worried about the money side of this. They're worried about taking a huge hit financially if St. Louis wins this lawsuit. And so Mike Florio put up a piece on Pro Football Talk that suggests that part of the compensatory, uh, the compensatory, excuse me, damages awarded to St. Louis if there is a settlement here, because that's the way that the NFL is leaning, they want to try to settle this as as much as they can, is that a new team for St. Louis could be dangled as a way to wrap up the case and not go to trial. And so the question of the day that we've been discussing, and of course we want to hear from you, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line, or a mic drop on the Rhino Show mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app is, do you want a team? Now, just to put it all out there, we don't know if this is something that the legal team for St. Louis would even consider. We don't know if this is something that businesses in St. Louis would consider. We don't know if the NFL is actually going to present it. But just from your perspective as a fan, knowing that the NFL burned you, they burned your city, that they don't want you, that they did everything possible, including a secret vote and torching your city on the way out to rip the Rams out of St. Louis in the name of greed and put them in L.A., would you support a relocation team if, in fact, St. Louis was awarded a new team? Curb, you said no, correct? I Yeah. What if I take it from the angle, or we take it from the angle, too, of let's assume it's a given. Let's assume that it happened, okay? The same group of people that have allowed two teams to leave even if you did get awarded an expansion team, and I would think there'd have to be all sorts of stipulations in there, you know, of of you can't move the team. You got to pay for the stadium. Boom, 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 boom. Everything possibly you could think of, right? I, I uh, that group then gets to pick the owner of that new team. What if that group picks a cronky type owner? And what what the current NFL owners picks a cronky type owner for that team? Well, the ownership group that you would say would be the perfect ownership group for an NFL expansion team already has a team. They are <laughs> Carolyn Kendall Betts and the Taylor family, the Cavanaugh's. They have poured their resources into professional soccer, which That's is right. coming in 2023. And you would like it to be a local ownership group. But isn't that something we would have said about Stan Kroenke? He's a Missouri guy. He gets how important this is to us. Just because it's somebody that has local ownership ties does not mean that they don't value money over your city and what's best for St. Louis. Anybody that knew anything about Stan Kroenke, the type of guy, the type of businessman he was, right, would have been an absolute buffoon to have thought that. Mm -hmm. And you knew, like, the moment, the moment that he waited to the last hour to take the team from Shad Khan, who had negotiated the deal, right, you knew, you knew that that team was moving to L.A., Yep. And I would like to say it wasn't, but you knew it was St. Louis is winning this lawsuit right now. Now, we don't know how this is going to turn out because this is the NFL. There's always something that the NFL likely has up their sleeve. But if the NFL is having the self-awareness right now to realize how badly that they messed this up and how badly the legal team representing St. Louis in this case is torching them. 
and they're looking for a way out of this. I personally would love St. Louis to act from a place of power and act from a place of self-respect because they have the NFL by the tail right now and they know it. And this is just from a business standpoint, I understand that the NFL is big money and I understand that it brings business to a downtown area that could need it. And I understand if you're a business downtown, you would be thinking, yeah, I would want some home NFL games. That's parking. That's that's hotels. That's food, food and a lot of money being spent in the city. But I also, from a business standpoint, would not want to get into business with an organization that I know could burn me at any time and that does not want to do business with me. And I think St. Louis would make a huge statement if they said, no, no, thank you for your offer. But we're a fine city without you. And I know a lot of people don't agree with that. But I think St. Louis is doing okay without the NFL. I will be more disappointed if this doesn't go to trial than I was that the Rams left. I will be so, like I said this earlier, like I believe that we have a larger responsibility as a city of St. Louis here to take this to trial and get those questions asked and put the stick. I don't care if we lose the the, the trial and you get nothing. I mean, how many millions is the city wasted on other stuff? So I'm not even worried about the 17 million bucks that you spent to try to keep the team. All right. Time to expose. You have an opportunity here that no one's gotten this close to do. To do. Like, this. Do it. See this through. Mm-hmm. See this through and roll the dice. Let's get to some of your mic drops on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on 101 ESPN. Let's hear from Ben first. I'd be willing to take another football franchise if the ownership group was local. That, to me, has to be the top priority because it's not going to be somebody that's looking to move as soon as they have the opportunity to make a little bit more money. Cronky never cared. We know that. So if we can get somebody kind of like Tom Stillman, who's a local guy and really cares about this community, they try to do things right by St. Louis. And that's what we need. That is a great point, Ben. But who is that person? This is this is kind of a unicorn that we're talking about or a, a group of unicorns that has, first and foremost, the money to do it. Second of all, ties to St. Louis that aren't wrapped up in one of the other professional franchises that we have right now and that would value the city and what's best for the city over the money because I I keep going back to this. Stan Kroenke is named after two iconic members in Cardinals franchise history. This is a Mizzou guy, a Missouri guy. A lot of people thought that about Stan Kroenke. Yes, he had some bad dealings in business before that would make you a little skeptical. But I remember when this was going to a vote, a lot of people kept saying, he's not going to do this to St. Louis. He wouldn't do this to Missouri. Of course he would. Of course he would. Blinders. They had blinders on. Yeah, so I think that Ben makes a great point, but I don't know who that person is. Does that person exist or that group of people exist that have the capital to do it and that would forever put St. Louis above money. Let's get to another one. Bryant is with us on 101 ESPN. I would accept an NFL team only if the stadium, land, everything was financed by the NFL 100% and also maintained by the NFL. There was a 30-year lease where the team could not relocate during that time. And also St. Louis was given the opportunity to host a Super Bowl within the first five years of the stadium's construction. Listen, if you're going to settle, okay, if if you're going to settle, Michelle, you've got to get everything you wanted. 
You've got to get mm-hmm. everything you wanted if you're going to settle. Like, no compromise. None. Here's the list. It's either all or trial. All or nothing. And again, I'm good if we get nothing out of the trial. Because you still did your job to, to expose this problem. But it's got to be all or nothing. And chances are, you're going to get a heck of a lot. Because I cannot imagine. I can't imagine what they what would push the NFL over the edge mm-hmm. to say, you know what, we don't want to give that go-ahead. Let's answer questions in court. That, oof, can you imagine? I like this Get text. Get it all. Right? I like this text curves from the 618 because I think this really encapsulates the way a lot of people feel about the NFL here in St. Louis. Yes, please give us an expansion team. I know the NFL did St. Louis wrong, but I will take that any day of the week. Not having any team here takes away everything I love to do on a game day on Sundays. I've barely been watching NFL games since the Rams left. I've been so hurt. I'm ready to get back to it, to take my kids and my family to the tailgates and have some fun. And I think there's a lot of people that know the NFL did our city wrong and they're hesitant to support them, but they think about the the way that they grew up and, and the good times they had with the NFL and tailgating and how Sunday is such a special day if you're an NFL fan. And I think there's a lot of parents out there that want to have that experience with their kids. So take them over to Kansas City and make a weekend out of it. Go up to Green Bay, make a trip out of it. Go to New England. Go, you've got 32 other teams. Go, go. It doesn't have to be right, right here in your backyard to make that happen and to make those experiences happen. I... Man, I just, I got to tell you, like this, I almost hate the fact that it's even a topic and that that got dangled out there just because of, it, it is. You don't want to get everyone excited? <laughs> what what makes anybody? So, you just have to accept the business for what it is. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the old business decision. We had to trade this guy. It was a business decision. Sure. This guy decided, you know, Pujols decided to leave. It, it was a business decision. In the end, this this is business. But I do wonder... If you're Enterprise, if you're Worldwide Technology, if you're Purina, you know, Anheuser-Busch being a different story because they've got some other deals with the league still because of all the different markets. I, I understand that. Like, how much of, how much local business support would they get if it came in? Or does the business side really take over and we say to hell with integrity? And that's what would bother me here. Settling this or accepting an expansion team says, hey, listen, we were fighting you because of your lack of integrity and your fraudulent stuff, but now we're not going to fight you anymore on this because you're going to give us another team. That's a problem for me. I think these texts back-to-back are are pretty indicative of the the way people feel. From the 314, the NFL can blank right off, (laughs) and then directly underneath it from the 573, I'm ready to be heard again. I think we're, we're split 50-50. So we're going to talk about this a lot more. We want to hear from you. The mic drops are piling up. Send yours in to the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Michelle Smallman. The Blues lock up James Neal to a deal over the weekend. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It is Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. I'm Michelle Smallman. Brandy Carriker is taking some vacation, but we're lucky because we have the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber hanging out with us all morning in Randy's chair. Hockey week. 
Season opener. That's this right. is the great the season opens on Saturday in Colorado. The following Saturday, a home game against. Oh, and by the way, uh, later in the show because we got to get this uh, that face-off week, which is presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Uh, I'm telling you something. Like we've got some cool stuff planned for the home opener on the 23rd. Looking forward to that. Headlined by a concert performed by the lead singer of The Urge. Ooh, you've piqued my interest. Oh, yeah. Yep, it's going to be a lot of fun. It is. Well, as we gear up for the opening of the blue season, let's start with some storylines, some information that we've gotten over the weekend. So James Neal was off to a good start in his first preseason game. He had a hat trick. He's looked pretty good for the Blues curbs, and the Blues locked him up to a one-year contract worth $750,000. He was with the Blues on a PTO, and it seems like what we've seen out of him so far in uh, in camp and in the preseason that he could be somebody that could make an impact for the Blues, especially from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, so James Neal still had two years left on his contract with the Edmonton Oilers, and the Edmonton Oilers bought him out. And it's it's understandable why that was. The, the previous year in the trade that was made, you know, from Calgary that brought him to, to Edmonton, he had 31 points, but he still had 19 goals in, in 55 games. Then last year, the, the drop went to five goals in in 29 games. And look, and, and he has been a minus player every year now. I mean, really, every year now for the last five years. But he was playing for teams. Nashville started to struggle defensively. He was a minus player despite getting, you know. 25 goals with Vegas. Okay. So, and and then was a minus player with, with Calgary and Edmonton. He gets bought out. He comes in, Doug Arm, and he played well. He was one of, like, he played like a player wanting to make the team. There were younger guys. I mean, that's why Mackenzie McEachern isn't here. Mm-hmm. A guy like James Neal, I'll play him. You know, the 34 year old, I'll play the 26 year old. Okay. And, and he signs for a 750, a thousand a year, uh, one year deal. Now, the reason he's able to do that, he's, st- he's still making each of the next four years, he's going to make 1.9 million from the Edmonton Oilers as part of the buyout plan. So he's got that. You've got a guy that scored 20 goals, 10 plus times in the, in the National Hockey League. There's, there's a little bit of a Mike Hoffman aspect of this, especially if you do eventually move Vladimir Tarasenko. If that, if that continues to go down the road and you, and you do move him, then you have a situation where you've, you've got a goal score to back it up. But even right now, even right now, when you look at the, the option of putting James Neal in your top six, moving, you know, um, Different different players up up and down the lineup and and the depth and the way you could move Sod up you know you can move Neil down you know, th- along those kind of things. Th- there's so many options that they have that th- this signing is so good, you know, for the St. Louis Blues and it's it's low risk. Mm-hmm. It's just such low risk that uh, that it can't hurt you. One thing that I really like about this is that he wanted to be here. He had PTOs with other teams, and he wanted to come to the Blues. He really liked the way that the Blues were constructed and the culture of the team, and he wanted to be here. And when you look at the stuff that James Neal has dealt with, he, he's, of course, dealt with injuries. But I, I keep going back to about the bad bout that he had with COVID and how mm-hmm. that affected his body. And now that he's feeling good and healthy and he's in a situation that he chose to be in, I think that that could really pay dividends for him. Michelle, and if he plays in the regular season the way he played, he, he will be a plus player for the St. Louis Blues terms of his plus minus he's going to get opportunities on the power play if somebody goes down you've got a threat to come back in there and go and he he played finally on the line with with David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly and Jake Neighbors played all the way down you know on the fourth line in one of those final preseason games I, I look at this scenario right now where if you're putting a line of say a James Neal Ryan O'Reilly and, and, and David Perron you know then a Kairou Butchnevich and Shen 
your third line, your third line is Brandon Saad, Robert Thomas, and Vladimir Tarasenko. Your fourth line has Barbashev, and then let's let's get Sunquist healthy, okay? But at the beginning of the year, it's still going to be Barbashev, Bozak, and then fill in the blank with with one of the other forwards. This is such a different team, and that's why we talked with Greg Rosinski about this. They're not they're not getting a lot of respect on a national level, to be honest with you. And I was talking to somebody over the weekend who I think it was. I mean, they were getting thirty to one odds that the team would make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So he w- he went over to uh, to the the old horse track. I'm blanking on the name now. Fairmont, Fanduel, Fairmont uh, Park. F- Fairmont Park. Uh, well, they, it's Fanduel now. It's now Fanduel. Fanduel right. Yes, but it was so, Fairmont Park. Yeah, they, he went over there and laid some money down because they were getting thirty <laughs> thirty to one just to make the playoffs, or, or something like that. Like it was a, it it was a a crazy number or whatever it was that he said. So. Um, I just I look at this team and I'm going, holy smokes! Look at the depth of this team. Sure. From a forward standpoint, and, and now now you've added James Neal to that mix. There's there's a lot of good going on, and this team could come out of the gate really really well. Now that's a tough task on Saturday Saturday against Colorado. I personally I don't think Colorado is as good. They may prove me wrong. They lost. You know, when you lose Grubauer, when you lose Sod, when you lose Donskoy, and you lose Graves. You know, and, and you're replacing them with a Jack Johnson. I, it, I don't think they're as deep. Now they're just as much of a threat with Rantanen and 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 McKinnon up front. You know, but I'll, I'll tell you what, this Blues team has the chance to be really, really good and much better than last year. The the pandemic and the way that teams had to adjust to the new world, the new pandemic world, affected a lot of teams in different ways. But I think we can all agree that the Blues. Uh, were a team that struggled, whether it was in the bubble or some of the things that they had to deal with last year. I'll never forget us talking to David Perron every week and the Blues having to go out west so much where the restrictions were much more severe. He was talking about how the team would fly out there and then they couldn't go anywhere. And so they would get something to eat and they would go sit outside by the pool at their hotel. And when you are having a lot of personnel turnover, new faces coming in, it's hard to connect with your teammates and find that chemistry, especially early on when you can't go out to dinner with them or, or when you're traveling, you, you can't hang out in the manner in which you're used to. And I think going to Vail, right, they're going to Vail yep. on the team trip and just being able to have a little bit more freedom to develop that team chemistry early on is going to benefit them. And I, and I think, you know, the, not having the travel that they did, there's, there's just a lot of things that the Blues dealt with externally that are going to be removed this season that I think we're and having a healthy Colton Pareko, I keep Huge. going back to that. I think when a lot of people look, uh, these odds makers or people that are trying to evaluate the Blues now, you have to take into consideration that Colton Pareko was not 100% last year. Having a healthy Colton Pareko changes the dynamic of this team in in a big way. In a massive way. The, the, the Blues were not a good COVID team. No. Something something changed when they went to the bubble and they hadn't they hadn't really been themselves ever since. And and they were inconsistent and, and Greg was right. They were a very average team last year. Still good enough to make the playoffs, by the way, as an average team in in that situation. So I look, you you went from Blay and Sanford as guys that were in your top six nearly every game, one of those two, to Butchnevich and Sad. You're better. You're just but those guys would go in the top six one game the the press box the next, All right? You're you're going from from a Mackenzie McEachern in and out of your lineup to you know 
Tyler Bozak being re-signed and, and forcing that fourth line where he can go to the right side where you might have put him at Kekron if you're going to put a Dakota Joshua middle if he gets called up. And again, your fourth line is Barbashev, Sundquist, and whomever when Oscar gets healthy, If assuming everybody else is healthy. They're, they're just so deep there. You've upgraded. You've given yourself more, more certainties here. Now you've got a head coach that's going into the final year of his contract. You've got... Uh, You've got a GM that was extended, which is good. You've got some stability, you know, depending on how things, you know, shake out there. This team needs to get off to a good start. You're in a very, very tough division. Maybe what I think, again, is the best division in the National Hockey League. Put all that in there, and it's going to make for for an exciting thing. And, and best of all, you got Jordan Bennington in net. That's right. You know, and, and, I'm, and I know some people were down on him a little bit. Go look at the numbers. You go look at the numbers a year ago. Before the season ended and his 30 wins and where they were, I, I'm, I'm bullish on this team and I'm curious. So my biggest question mark is, as you mentioned, the chemistry. How does this now shake out as you can get to normal? They're going to go to Colorado early. They're going to get some little bonding time, get away from home, go and, and start the season. And that's something that this team has not been able to do for you know a year and a half to two years. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And if the chemistry clicks... They are going to be a hard, hard team to play against. They've added size. They're going to be a difficult team to beat. That's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN Blues, opening the season versus the Avalanche this Saturday pregame here on 101 ESPN starting at 7 p.m. Coming up next, though, it's time for the fight. So keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character. ESPN. It is 8.38. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Randy Carricker is on vacation today, which means that Chris Kerber, who is sitting in for Randy Carricker, is going to be taking the fight. I think a lot of people listening think, oh, Megamind's on vacation. Today's going to be a breeze. I'm going to submit myself for the fight. But, Emily, I believe Kerbs has not only won every single time. Well, I know he lost once to a Hall of Famer. But other than that one loss, I think he's won every time that he's participated in the fight, right? I do believe you're correct. So you're not. This is not a cakewalk, okay? Chris Kerber knows his sports. But Kevin is going to be challenging him today. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys? We are doing great. How do you feel taking on Curbs as opposed to Randy Carricker? Uh, I've, I've tied Randy in the past, so um, I'm not too worried about it. Oh, you tied Randy. Wow. Okay. So we know your skill set. All right. Well, good luck, Kevin. We're cheering for you. All right. Thank you. All right. Question number one. Who became the first player to win the NBA Finals MVP award with three different teams on this day in 2020? Was it Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, or LeBron James? Uh, LeBron James. Before Kike Hernandez on Friday night, who was the last player with four extra base hits and five RBI in a postseason game? Was it Derek Jeter, Albert Pujols, or Manny Ramirez? Jeter. Question number three, Kevin. What was the first sport to have been played on the moon? Is it golf, football, or frisbee? Uh, I believe it was golf. And which player has won the most Major League Baseball MVP awards? Is it Joe DiMaggio, Barry Bonds, or Ted Williams? 
very boned. Okay, checking our score, waving curbs in. Kevin, where's your confidence check at? Uh, 50-50. Hmm. Well, you did better than that, just to let you know. All right, Curbs is getting settled in here as he's uh, yeah. taking his mask on, getting ready to... Do I have a chance? Uh, I don't know. You're... I mean, with the topics. Your opposition, Kevin, who you should say good morning to, did a great job. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Good morning, sir. I, I wish you the best of luck and... Uh... For you, this is probably easy. You're like fighting with one hand tied behind your back. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, Hit me with it. Curbs, question number one. Who became the first player to win the NBA Finals MVP award with three different teams on this day in 2020? I forgot to ask, do you want your options? On this day in 2020? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. 2020, two years ago, when the... I'll just... No, uh, let's... I got to channel my inner Randy here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Where were you eating on this day in 2020? Okay, that one might be a Randy. problem. That's that one, I, yeah. That one. So won the NBA Finals MVP? Yes. On this day in 2020, someone became the first player to win the NBA Finals MVP award with three I gotta different go. I, I'm going to just somewhat educated guess, and I'll say LeBron James. LeBron James. Before Kike Hernandez on Friday night, who was the last player with four extra base hits and four and five RBI rather in a postseason game? Four extra base hits and five ribbies. Yes, in I a postseason have, game. I have no idea. The I'll take the options. Will help in this yes, one. I'll take the options. Is it Derek Jeter, Albert Pujols, or Manny Ramirez? Ooh, I was thinking Albert, to be honest with you. Um, uh, so to get four extra base hits, five ribbons, you probably had to hit it out. Is it too easy to go, Albert? Ah, what the hell? I'm going to have some fun. I'll go man ram on that one. All right. We learned earlier in the show, Chris Kerber, huge space guy. I am. I'm a space nut. Huge space guy. So Chris space Kerber. Space cadet sometimes. What was the first sport to have been played on the moon? Ooh, I don't know the answer to this one. Uh... The first sport to be played on the moon. Did you guys work this in just because of that segment? Did somebody come up with that? No, I just Googled random trivia and saw this one. But but you did this last night before this? I did this actually like 20 minutes ago. Oh, okay. So we did, we threw a space one in there for me. And then, this is my uh, last question I added. First sport to be played on the moon, I am going to go golf. And which player has won the most Major League Baseball MVP awards? Oh, <laughs> wow. All right, hang on. Um, I like the music here. Um, it is Bop. Uh, by the way, Kids Bop, uh, I still think that we should draw and quarter whoever invented Kids Bop and those 17 albums of hell that parents have had to go through with that. Absolutely. Yeah, see, (laughs) any parent knows exactly what I'm talking about. Kevin knows what's up. Yeah. All right, give me the options. Joe DiMaggio, Barry Bonds, Ted Williams. Barry Bonds. Kevin, Curbs. Gentlemen, we have a tie. Really? We have a tie. Kevin had tied Randy previously, and now he's tied Chris Kerber. Both of you got three correct. So we're going to move on to the tiebreaker question. 
Kevin, here is how this is going to work and for you too, Curb, since you don't do this every I day. I got so much crap the last time we did the tiebreaker on that hit questions. We got 185. Are you nuts? <laughs> All right, here we go. So here's how this is going to work. I will read the tiebreaker question. As I'm reading it, Chris Kerber is going to write down his answer on a sheet of paper. Kevin is going to get first crack at this. First one to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Chris Kerber, are you ready? I am. Kevin, are you ready? Yes. Here is your tiebreaker question, gentlemen. How many doubles did Nolan Arenado have in the 2015 season? <laughs> I know you know this one off the top of your head. How many doubles did Nolan Arenado have in the 2015 season? 36. Kevin says 36. Chris Kerber, your answer is... Go ahead, reveal 25. it. 25. You wrote that very small. I, I, I did that to you the last time. I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. I apologize. It's actually bigger than I write in my scorebook. That was bigger than last time, too. That's oh, all right. Thank, thank you. Yeah. I can read that one. All right. When we are Good. far apart. All right. Is it Kevin or is it Curbs? Emily, let him know. The winner and new champion of the fight. Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Congratulations, Kevin. What'd you say? Hoorah, good fight. <laughs> yeah, no, that was good. I almost, listen, I I almost feel that if you lose the fight when a guest host is in here, that it, it's not the way it should be. You should lose to Randy, right? So if we if if we put up a good fight and make it close, we've done our job, right? Absolutely. Or is that a defeatist attitude? No, you did a great job. You did a great job. You both were close. Let's run through our answers here. So the first player to win the NBA Finals MVP award with three different teams that happened on this day in 2020 is, in fact, LeBron James. 2012 and 2013, he won with the Heat, 2016 with the Cavs, and, of course, 2020 with the Lakers. Before Kike Hernandez on Friday night, the last player with four extra base hits and five RBI in a postseason game was, in fact, Albert Pujols. Game Uh, two, 2011 NLCS. Talk myself out of that one. I know. I thought you were going to go with him. Yeah. The first sport that was played on the moon was golf. In 1971, Apollo 14 astronaut Alan Shepard swung a makeshift six iron on the moon's surface and missed the ball. His second swing, however, connected and the golf ball went flying miles and miles and miles, as Shepard put it after his swing. So it took him two tries. It's a great story connected. right there. Yeah, that's right. And the player that has won the most Major League Baseball MVP awards is Barry Bonds with seven. 1990, 92, 93, and then 2001 through 2004. Our tiebreaker question was this. How many doubles did Nolan Arenado have in the 2015 season? Kevin guessed 36. Curbs guessed 25. The correct answer is 43. Wow. So Kevin was closest to the pin. He takes home the victory. And Kevin, we will talk to you tomorrow as you get one step closer to the Hall of Fame. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Nice I can't job, wait to Kevin. Tomorrow. All right, Kevin. Talk Thank to you tomorrow. You, All right. What was God bless the one? you guys. You got it. Thanks, Kevin. What was the one that Kevin got wrong? He got, I believe, the same one as you. He guessed, uh, I think, Derek Jeter. He yes, Jeter? he guessed Jeter. He guessed yeah, Jeter. We both disrespected Albert. All right, good. Well, you know, he did so many amazing things while he was wearing the birds on the bat. You kind of forget. But this is why I absolutely stunk at the SAT and the ACT, you know, in, in high school. Because... I outthink myself when when it comes to multiple choice. I'm like, "Uh, Emily, you probably threw that Albert Pujols in there just to throw us off. So I'm not going there. And that's that's why you get an 18 on your ACT. (laughs) But you know what? Look at you now. Oh, it worked. But I stunk it. But but that's exactly why. Like, 
like, I'm like, why are teachers trying to trick me? So I, I still think that way. Standardized tests are the pits. They're brutal. They're the worst. And they are absolutely not a representation of what a person can do. Absolutely. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Michelle Smallman. Coming up next, some drama in the Red Sox-Rays game last night. It's been described as a heartbreaker. We're going to talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Kerber and Michelle Smallman with you here on 101 ESPN. Postseason baseball action happening. And Kerb's ALDS Game 3 last night between the Rays and the, the Red Sox. The series was tied 1-1. We're in the top of the 13th inning. The game is tied 4-4. And Kevin Kiermeyer steps into the box. Here's what happens. He has runs. Kiermeyer sends a ball into right center field. That's trouble. And that one's off the base of the wall. Diaz coming around to score. Except that's not what happened. <laughs> that is not what happened. So you think that off that Kiermaier hit that Diaz is going to score. The Rays are going to get that 5-4 lead in the 13, 13th. But if the ball didn't bounce over the fence, Diaz would have scored. But right. the crew chief, Sam Holbrook, he called the umpires back in. They made a decision. That ball was going to be ruled a ground rule double, which means that Diaz has to go back to third base. So the score ended up remaining tied at four. And then... Half inning later, you had that walk-off homer by Christian Vasquez, and the Red Sox go up, uh, end up winning the game six to four. Look, it's it's frustrating. I understand if you're a Tampa fan, it's you're you're mad, but that is the rule. It ends up being a ground rule double. If the ball goes off the player and out of play then it's the ground rule double. So, again, a, another similar situation to think of would be the ball hits off a player's glove or a player at Wrigley Field is going to get the ball on the warning track and they kick it accidentally and it rolls into the ivy. It's a ground rule double. And every play has a starting point. And in this case, it's where did the runner start? It wasn't the fact that he had already passed second base, although that is a rule that I've thought for a long time would could should, should be changed. It's two bases from wherever you were on the base path at the time the ball left. That's what I would love to see. But that's not what the rule is. So the umpiring crew got it right. I reached out and uh, to an umpire mm-hmm. after this one, and I asked what had happened. If, if they had felt the only judgment call to have been made on this would have been if the player intentionally put the ball out of play. And okay. that clearly didn't happen here. All right. So it, it, the ball took a wacky bounce, hit off his hip or his thigh, and bounced over the short wall. Look, if this is in any other stadium, that ball stays in play because of the higher walls, right? So, But because it was not intentional, the rule is it's a uh, – it's a ground rule double. And, man, you can argue the rule. You can argue the impact. It, you can argue it all you want. But that's the rule that you got to live with. It's the rule. As Kiermaier yeah. said after the game, it's a heartbreaker, plain and simple. And here the Rays are in a position where they think they're going to take the lead and take the lead in the series. And instead now they're facing an elimination game tonight in game four at Fenway. And that's, man, that's why you play the games, right, Dennis Green? You know, that's, that's why you play the games. I mean, the Red Sox, look, I've got some friends that are Red Sox fans. My father-in-law is a diehard. Like my father-in-law is such a Red Sox fan, Michelle, that 
Like he and I got into it. Like we, we were barking at each other on a text chain with the wild card game mm-hmm. because I'm like, Andy, can you just accept? Like, tell me something good about the Red Sox without having to add the line Yankees suck at the end of it. You, <laughs> you know, like like he actually he, like I got a I got a friend here in town, a Cubs fan who was you know starting to chirp people on on Facebook. I'm like the the, the inferiority complex of of those f- two fandoms blows my mind. But um, but that's why you play. So he Andy's thinking the whole time, ah, we're gonna go up against Tampa and lose. Okay, well, now you're up. And and a rule helped you out. You know, and, and that that's cool. I, I'd expect Tampa to come out. That's a hell of a baseball team. They'll, they'll come out and fight hard tonight. But yeah, now facing elimination, the pressure has changed. I'm assuming if your father-in-law is a Red Sox fan, that means he's a Bruins fan? Yeah, oh yeah. And how did that go okay, in 2019? So he, all right, well, he came. Now, now Andy has always been a diehard fan. Andy came to game two of the Stanley Cup final. All right, and went with Christy. And I made it, I said, Andy, I go, you better not be wearing any Bruins stick, any Bruins <laughs> gear to this thing. And and, and de- underneath underneath his other stuff, he did have his, his Bruins shirt on and stuff like that. And we still to this day give him crap. We're like, you're still mad that the Bruins lost. No, I wanted to see you guys win. I'm happy for you guys. But he's one of those kind of, he's one of those kind of Boston fans so much so, right, that like the, he has nothing positive about Derek Jeter, for example. That kind of thing. Like, Andy, you can't even respect how great of a baseball player this guy was. And that's the shame of it. Like, the rivalry takes it to the point that you can't even respect the level of greatness when you're watching it. Like, I hate the Blackhawks. Okay? I hate them. I want to see them win ever. Okay? But I can still love the fact and appreciate how great of a player that Patrick Kane has been for them. Right? Not him. I mean, no way. You will never, like, Derek Jeter gets no. I mean, and maybe that's the rivalry part that's great. I don't know. But it's kind of like he's a good but a miserable baseball fan at the same time. I think that's pretty typical of Boston sports fans, though. They, oh, yeah. They prefer to stay in the angry. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna text him that. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna say. Hey, we've we figured you out. You prefer to stay in the angry. I was told that when the Red Sox won the World Series, what was that? The most recent one, 2018, I believe. Right. Anyway, they they won a record amount of games uh, in franchise history, and one of the shows in Boston did a segment. I'm paraphrasing here, where they would put Red Sox player on players on a wheel, and they would spin it. And it was called the Wheel of Gutless Bums. Yeah. So here's a team that is breaking franchise records. They go on to win the World Series, and they're finding ways to rip them. That's just that's part of. The, for some people, that's an endearing part about Boston is that they prefer to stay angry. They beat the Yankees in the wild card game, and his texts to me were all about how the Yankees buy the, you know, they buy their championships, they buy their team, they blow and, and, and do all this other stuff. I reminded him, I said, okay, well, Aaron Judge was one of their own picks. And then I said, okay, look, here's the last four years and the Boston Red Sox, by the way, have been top six in payroll. And then three years ago or four years ago were first overall. So kind of the Sox are doing the same thing. Goes, that doesn't count. I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't count? That's fact. So I, I have fun with them. I, I, I chide them and, and needle them about it. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Michelle Smallman here on Carriker and Smallman 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we've been talking about this all morning. Pro Football Talk has a report out that an NFL team could be dangled as part of a potential settlement in the Rams relocation case. We're not talking about the probability of that happening. We just want to hear from you as a fan. If the NFL in St. Louis were to settle this relocation case and part of that settlement was, in fact, a new team here locally, would you support it? Would you want the NFL to return to St. Louis? We're going to hear from you next, so keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
It's Karakur and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman and Chris Kerber hanging out with you. And an interesting report over the weekend from Pro Football Talk, who's been doing a pretty extensive job, Curbs, covering the NFL relocation lawsuit here it's in It's mind-boggling how this has not been a bigger... Well, it's actually not. It shows you... It, actually, Michelle, it shows you the power of the NFL. Correct. The, the fact that basically Pro Football Talk... And us here in St. Louis are the only ones kind of making this thing like this is and they they know how how big of a deal this is, which is another reason you just got to keep it going. Well, I think it's probably twofold. A lot of other networks have partnerships with the league and their game packages are a major revenue streams for them and also I think right now with the NFL in full swing I'm just being realistic people outside of St. Louis likely do not care about this lawsuit they want to talk about Aaron Rodgers and they want to talk about Tom Brady and they want to hear breakdowns of the Chiefs today and what's what's going wrong with the Chiefs I think nationally the intrigue will peak if and when we get close to a verdict or when the trial starts. But Just uh, being realistic. No, you're absolutely right. Now, if you're a media person in Buffalo, you should be all over the story. Yeah. And even to some extent, Chicago. You know, okay, like the team moving locations inside the city, that that's that's a different beast altogether. Mm-hmm. But, when, but what has the... This is part of why this lawsuit is so important here. Okay, is because... The, the way the league is holding movement of a franchise as ransom to get the public funding for a stadium, which is so much harder to get now, obviously, you know, than, than it was 15, 20, even 10, five years ago. The that's that's why this story is so much bigger than just does St. Louis recoup the recoup the 17 mm-hmm. million. Look, the 17 million dollars that the city of St. Louis lost. That's a cost of business. You fought to keep them. There's a cost of doing business. And in this case, that was the cost. It wasn't that we need to recoup that $17 million if you're the city of St. Louis. It's the fraudulent nature of being led along by the NFL saying you're doing the right thing. You're still, look, these are the relocation protocols. You're doing it all right. Keep going. So they were baiting you into spending the more money to do that when they clearly had no intent to stay. That's the crux of this. It's not actually that we spent $17 million to try and keep them and now we're burned by that. It's the process of the how. And so to me, you this is still I, I look maybe even in the in the in the awarding of things uh, a team comes I don't know how that part will, will play itself out I have no desire to see it I could care less but uh, it, but I'll 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 tell you what I just man you got to see this through because the the integrity is just so important nobody nobody has taken the NFL to the brink like this like we've got to hear that's right this one you have got to see through for everybody there is a reason that the nfl doesn't want this to go that way and that is the reason why you have to see it through and the story that we're talking about on pro on profootballtalk.com suggests that the st louis side of the relocation lawsuit is going so well that the nfl's in a little bit of a panic mode and they're exploring options for a settlement that they might present to the st louis side of the lawsuit so per pro, pro football talk excuse me the possibility of an expansion team as part of a potential settlement of the case has been floated in league circles with the stature and influence to float such concepts. So basically, this is not 
something concrete yet, but those in the know in the NFL have tried to figure out a way to avoid the trial and to ultimately avoid a potential judgment where they could be on the hook for multiple billion dollars if they lose to St. Louis. And they're thinking that maybe they can entice St. Louis to settle if, in fact, an expansion team is part of that deal. And we wanted to hear from you. We were curious. Not do you think this will happen, but if it does happen, if for some reason the St. Louis side of things got together, they talked to decision makers in the city, government, businesses that would support a team, and this happened, as a fan, would you show up? Would you give your money to the NFL? Would you buy tickets? Would you tailgate? Would you be watching your NFL team on Sundays? And we've been getting, obviously, a lot of reaction from this. I actually tweeted out a poll, Curbs, on my Twitter page, at msmallman. We've got well over 1,000 votes right now. The question was simple. Would you support an NFL team if the league came back to St. Louis? 70% of those voting say yes. 70%. So cast your vote there because we're really curious with the number. Listen, I grew up with the St. Louis Cardinals. I still have a real affinity for that logo, the helmets. One of my favorite accounts on Twitter is the guy that does all the St. Louis. I was watching some of it actually late last night when they they put up Dan Deardorff telling a story at, at, you know, a memorial service for Jim Hannafin. Um, It's just an attack. I... would you eventually support it as your team? Yeah, I, I don't know where I would go on that one. If if that was the end result, and it, and it and it came in, I don't I don't know that I'd stay dead steadfast. I'd never go, kind of thing. I, I know I wouldn't be spending any money on you know like I've already you know committed to to tickets for for City SC. Mm-hmm. You know I I can guarantee you I would not for uh, for for the NFL thing. I just that that integrity thing is 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 so important to me. I. I, Michelle, if we assume that this is coming, let's let's just, for the sake of argument, just say okay, this is part of whatever a settlement or whatever uh, you know a, a a punitive award is, even if it goes to trial. If that's if that's the case, I, I just hope that all the protections, like there's when you are coming up with whatever the terms of that settlement is, there is zero trust involved. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to protect yourself with black and white verbiage. For sure. You'd need that. All right. Let's get to some mic drops on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. This one is from Groovy. Hey, I'm going to speak for RK. Good morning, Curbs and Michelle. But hell no on the expansion team. To quote the hot pet Benatar, (laughs) it's a little too little. It's a little too late. Peace. To quote the hot pet Benatar (laughs) from Groovy. But it kind of is a little too late, and that was suggested in the pro, in the pro football talk piece that if this was something the NFL really did want to avoid, they should have been trying to talk about ways to settle far earlier than this. Because now, if you're the St. Louis side of things, you're seeing them squirm. You're looking at the victories that you've continued to amass throughout this process. Why would you want to settle when you feel so confident about your case and the evidence that they gave you? All you have to do is play their own words in court, and they implicated themselves. And I don't know. If I'm the St. Louis side of things, I I don't think I'd want to settle. The the NFL wants their cake. They want to eat it, too. And they're about to get caught. And (laughs) that's, I mean, that's really, and that's that's why you have to say, for the love of God, St. Louis, don't settle this thing just to get another team. Expose them. Let's, Be better. Let's hear from Joe on the Rhino Show mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. 
Okay, so here's my take on that. I am a St. Louis transplant. I live in Wisconsin now. I always listen on the app. Nice. You guys do an awesome job. But here's my take on the NFL and what they should do. Being from Wisconsin, take a lesson from the Green Bay Packers. The NFL should have to award St. Louis a franchise team, but make it a fan-owned franchise, just like the Green Bay Packers. Essentially, the NFL completely gives St. Louis a team. Now, that's an interesting thought because clearly we are not only burned by the league, but we were burned by an owner. But what if we were the owners? What if St. Louis was the ownership group? Do you think that might change some minds? I... What if the I, NFL I, no, says, yeah. well, again, you're St. Louis Battlehawks, you can be an owner. You can go ahead and buy stocks in the team right now. You're St. Louis Battlehawks. Caw-caw. Would you buy it? Let, let me give you... No. No, I, me, I'm not going into business with the NFL. Now, that's why I don't have millions of bucks, because I may <laughs> not be a smart business person. Okay, but but no, I don't want to I don't want to partner with a bunch of a-holes and liars in this case. You know, I, I don't want to do that. Uh, and and I think you have to be I, like, I wonder if the enterprises, if the worldwide technologies, if the Purinas, I really would like to know their thoughts on this. You know, or is this really strictly a business decision? You know, but again, I understand the business of why Stan Kroenke left. I'm not bothered at all by the business decisions that he made to, to leave. Mm-hmm. I, I totally understand that. That's the quote-unquote doing business. It's the process that the league fraudulently put in front of you. Look, if Stan Kroenke was, would have just come out and said, look, we're moving the team. We all knew they were gone. If you didn't think they were gone, you're nuts. I appreciate the effort that Dave Peacock and everybody put in there, right? I still never believed once that they weren't going to be leaving because Stan Kroenke is Stan Kroenke. But nonetheless, this is a... I, here's a hey, Michelle, here's a scenario for you. Okay. The Battle Hawks return to St. Louis as part of another football league. As part of the XFL? The, the XFL, okay. whatever they want to call whatever it ends up being called. But let's say the the XFL comes back in, the Rock gets things going, and the Battle, Hawk come, Battle Hawks come back to St. Louis. Got it. They draw 30, 40, 50,000, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Maybe even more than that. Five years, six years down the road, that league has turned into so successful that like the WHA, the NHL incorporates five or six teams. And let's say that, that this happens, and then now the NFL wants to incorporate five teams from the XFL by the league out. And then St. Louis were to be usurped into the NFL and gets into the NFL that way. Does it change the scenario at all? I think the doing business with the NFL is doing business with the NFL. Okay. Whichever avenue you want to take, it's still the same people in charge. It's still the same group of people that did St. Louis so dirty and the same group of people that said this was not an NFL market and that this was not a place where a professional organization could survive. And they went so much as to email crime statistics back and forth. Their entire argument to leave was that this was a bad place to be and that no one supported the team. But then as part of your settlement, you're going to offer a team to this place that you said was so bad and that no one would support. It doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make any sense for St. Louis on the flip side. Like the the inaccuracy of the arguments, if you just say, well, okay, we'll accept that as, as the settlement. Having said that, here's one way that I might consider a settlement that includes a team. As I said before, they fully pay for a brand new stadium. They buy the land. They set up some type of development on it. And that is that land and that building is then leased in perpetuity to the to, to the city of St. Louis for one dollar a year. Right. As long as the NFL is in business, one dollar a year. The city owns it. OK. All that other stuff. On top of that, Roger Goodell is out. Roger Goodell is out. 
right? And Kevin Demoff is out. Any any participants? I, I, I realize they're well, not. Jerry's gonna not going to be out. Stan's not going to be out. No, I, I know they're not. But but and then that's why I said I, I like that. That's a little unrealistic to say that. Okay, that owner has to go. But if somehow the league structure changed because of this, and we have some casualties as a result. I, I might be willing to, to start to consider that because, it, it, let's face it, the league is a league, but the, the lack of trust and, and integrity is the people running it. So, right, so, you know, if, if Goodell and Demoff and them are out and you get a boatload of other concessions, then you consider it. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Michelle Smallman. We're going to talk a little bit more about this coming up at the bottom of the hour. But next, it's your Killing Me Smalls. Keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman with you. Randy Character is out on vacation, but we have Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, hanging out with us all morning long. And Kerbs, we've been talking about the Rams and this relocation lawsuit in the NFL and the potential of bringing a team back to. St. Louis, we haven't even talked about anything that's happened in the NFL over the weekend, so let's do a little bit of that right now. You're killing me, Smalls. So it was an interesting week for the Jacksonville Jaguars. There was a lot, a lot made of their head coach and Urban Meyer and his uh, behavior at his saloon in, in Ohio last weekend. Not I'm going flying to see my grandkids. I can't wait to use that excuse yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. There were some apologies. So a lot of people were wondering what the Jaguars would do this week, how they were going to look when they came out. And they ended up losing to the Titans 37-19. But... Two minutes left in this game. Jacksonville down by 12. It's fourth down. The ball's on the Titans' one-yard line. Two minutes left. And Trevor Lawrence hands it off to Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde is stuffed. Essentially end of the game. Post-game, Urban was asked why he went with Carlos Hyde in that position and didn't go with the quarterback sneak with Trevor Lawrence. And here is what Urban Meyer had to say. He said he's not quite comfortable with that yet. I know that might sound silly, but if you've never done it, it's something that we need to keep working on so that we can make that call in that situation. So you hear that from Urban, you think, okay, okay. rookie quarterback, I understand. And well, the coach knows his team better than we do. Right, that's what we're thinking. Trevor Lawrence was asked about that same thing and was given Urban Meyer's quote, and Trevor Lawrence said, no. Nope. I feel comfortable. Obviously, I haven't run it in a game, but I feel comfortable. No, quarterback sneak is something we can always get to, and I feel comfortable with. So I don't know if Urban Meyer was trying to deflect onto his rookie quarterback and say, or and essentially try to throw him under the bus and, and insinuate that he was not prepared to protect himself for not making that call. But either way, Trevor Lawrence not going along with what his coach said. If Carlos Hyde runs that in for the touchdown, are we even talking about it? Probably you know, not. I mean, the, the coach called the play, and I, there's no guarantee the quarterback sneak puts you, puts you that thing in the end zone either. I think the bigger question for Jacksonville, to be real honest with you, is why is Urban Meyer the head coach? And it's not because he doesn't know where his grand his grandparents uh, or his grandkids were not at the bar. It's not because of that. It's it's because you're you're a you're a franchise trying to turn a culture around. You're a franchise trying to get back on the winning track. I don't think you can achieve that with the inexperience at the level of that type of coaching that Urban Meyer has. It is so different than coaching at the collegiate level. That's Mm -hmm. why so many collegiate coaches come in and some might find some success, 
but it is hard to really change that. You're dealing with a totally different type of person. You're dealing with a totally different type of motivated athlete. You're dealing with the business side where, you know, well, I mean, I guess at Ohio State, if you bought some players, you, you dealt with some <laughs> of the business side, but not, not at least not legally, right? So I... I actually wonder if they made the right decision in going with that coach. Now he may look Urban Meyer may prove to be the guy. I'm just not a fan of that type of a hire when you're a franchise needing that type of decision. I don't think you rebuild or, or you rebuild a franchise or you turn a franchise around with an experience. Doesn't work for me. You're killing me, Smalls. Another tough loss for the Detroit Lions, Curbs. They fell to the Vikings 19-17, to and they fell to 0-5 on the season. And their head coach, Dan Campbell, after the game, was wearing his emotions on his sleeve. When you, uh, when you see your players give all that they have and, uh, and you lose that way, it's tough. You know, you don't want that for them. So... Um, but we'll be better for it, you know. And there again, credit Minnesota, but um, you know, we we made the one mistake that cost us, you know. And uh, and so ultimately, you know, it uh, we didn't we didn't do enough to win. But I was proud of them, and I love the fight they have in them, and I love the grit. If I was love the grit. If I was Dan Campbell curbs, I'd be crying too. If if I was the head coach of the Detroit Lions and I had to face a pool of reporters and hear everything that the fan base had to say and probably face the ownership group, I'd be crying too. The Lions in a tough spot. But here's Mr. Football, Dan Campbell. We're going to bite you off at the kneecaps. I appreciate it. Even yep. through his tears, he could end that with saying that he loved the grit. He had a Dick Vermeil moment, didn't he? He did. But if you're a fan of the Lions or if you're a player in that locker room, how do you respond to the head coach of the Lions crying in his postgame after a tough loss? I, you know what? I, I have no idea. I, I, I don't think they'd have a problem with that. I think they see his passion. I, I think as a player, you would want to see that passion. And and this guy clearly clearly has their back. Man, he's he's got a, such a tough job here. This thing's not going to get turned around in his first year. It's not going to get turned around in his second year. It's a franchise that has won 14 total games in the last four years, counting the first five of this year. It's a I mean, you want to talk about a bad situation to try and to try and win in the last. I mean, you got to go, Michelle. Since 1992, since 1992, they have only had four seasons where they've had 10 or more wins. Oof. Wow. Is that bad? They're, they are the real factory of sadness. You know. Don't th- you think? Yeah. I mean, oh, abs- absolutely. I mean, th- them and the th- and, and the Buffalo Sabres in, in hockey, you know, and then the 15-year run of futility that they're on but that that's a tough situation i i love seeing the emotion of a coach listen you know the, the amount of time that these coaches put in and the passion even even the bad one, look even the ones that are struggling the, the pressure that they're under i have no problem seeing the emotion good for him I, i'm actually glad when you think about it to see the guy that says he wants everybody biting at the kneecaps and and, and, and that kind of thing I, i'm i'm okay like i i was when you saw the emotion, for example, in Doug Armstrong, when he let Ken Hitchcock go, there's the human side of everything to this. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. 
Now let's see if they respond and actually go win a game for him. That's true. Love the grit, though. Oh, yeah. Love the grit. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Michelle Smallman. Coming up next, we are going to get back to this pro football talk report that the NFL could be considering dangling a new NFL team to St. Louis in hopes to settle the relocation lawsuit. We're going to get the legal side of this. We are going to talk to Dan Wallach. He's the legal analyst at The Athletic, and we're going to ask him just how badly St. Louis is beating the NFL in this lawsuit. He's going to tell us. That's next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman and Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN, hanging out with you. And we wanted to let you know that the Fast Lane is going to be live on this Thursday, October 14th at Scott Air Force Base for a special military appreciation broadcast from 2 to 6. For service members, their family, and anyone currently on base, you can come watch the Fast Lane broadcast this Thursday. It's a special Fast Lane military appreciation. It's this Thursday from 2 to 6 at Scott Air Force Base, brought to you by Budweiser and Air Air comfort, service, heating, and cooling. Well, Curbs and I this morning have been talking a lot about the report from Pro Football Talk over the weekend that the NFL is starting to get nervous about the way that St. Louis has been racking up wins as far as the relocation lawsuit with the Rams is going, and that a potential new team could be dangled as part of a, again, potential settlement if that were to happen. But we wanted to talk about this from a legal perspective, and we have Dan Wallach, who's joining us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. He's the legal analyst at The Athletic. He's the co-host of Conduct Detrimental, which is his podcast. He's a gaming law and sports betting attorney, and he's going to give us a legal perspective of all of this. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Uh, Good morning, Michelle. I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Thanks for joining us. And Dan, when you look at this lawsuit, can you tell us from a legal perspective how, how much St. Louis is winning in this lawsuit and how nervous the NFL should be about that? Sure. As a trial lawyer and as a litigator, I I prefer to couch this as not losing and surviving motions to dismiss, motions for summary judgment, motions to put this in arbitration. There have been numerous attempts by the NFL to short circuit this lawsuit, and the city of St. Louis and the stadium authority have survived each and every one of those efforts. And it's pretty much now on the doorstep of a trial. And when it gets to a trial in St. Louis in front of a jury, a St. Louis-based jury, presumably, with all of the claims remaining intact and all of the damage theories remaining intact, there's the prospect of a recovery uh, with the number beginning with the letter B, because the city of St. Louis has asserted as a cause of action a claim for unjust enrichment and breach of contract based upon the NFL's uh, noncompliance with its own relocation criteria and guidelines, which is in and of itself considered to be a contract uh, from the vantage point of St. Louis. And St. Louis is claiming to be an intended beneficiary of the NFL's relocation guidelines. And what they're seeking is their lost revenues, you know, sales taxes, use taxes, tourism taxes, out-of-pocket expenditures. And then the big, big, big amount here is a disgorgement of the NFL's relocation fee of $550 million. And they want to pull back or claw back from Stan Kroenke and the Rams the increase in the value of the Rams franchise by virtue of having moved from St. Louis to Los Angeles. And that number could be one and a half, two billion dollars, if not greater, under a disgorgement remedy pursuant to its unjust enrichment claim. Uh, And then on top of that, you're talking about the prospect of punitive damages being awarded. And since this lawsuit was brought four years ago, it's not subjected to the more stringent 
punitive damages criteria that the Missouri legislature enacted last year, which raised the bar for, for getting punitive damages under Missouri law under the suit that was brought in 2017, the city of St. Louis need only show that the NFL, the NFL's conduct and the, the, the league's conduct was uh, reckless. The reckless disregard of the city's rights, which is a much lower threshold. And I think based upon the allegations in this complaint, if proven to be true, I think would easily satisfy a recklessness standard, which would mean that the National Football League could be subjected to a, a punitive damages multiplier of anywhere from five to ten times the amount of the actual damages. So when you begin layering all those categories of damages on top of one another, you certainly get into a, a final number that begins with billion. Uh, how many billion remains to be seen? How much of it survives on appeal? We don't know, but I think the city has a very strong liability case based upon the fact that they've won at every juncture so far. And there's a lot of information in those guidelines and in the history of how those guidelines came to be that strengthened the city of St. Louis's hand, not only at trial, but on a possible appeal before the Missouri Court of Appeals. I mean, the, the NFL agreed or acknowledged 20 years ago before Congress that the relocation guidelines were intended to protect cities. They weren't just an internal policy that was intended only for the league's own benefit. The, the league admitted before Congress that the city's interests were being protected as well. Dan, would you look at a client, in this case, the, the St. Louis side of this, would you look at a client that has won each of these judgments and has kept everything on the table at this point and recommend a settlement? Or would you say, look, th this is going so well, my advice is to see this through to trial? It depends what the client ultimately wants uh, as lawyers, your uh, services to the client. And I suspect that the city of St. Louis and uh, its representatives are looking for more than just money. Certainly, if the NFL is willing to write a billion-dollar check or $2 billion check tomorrow, the city may very well take it. Uh, but, but, but the league and the city see this case at polar opposite ends of the economic spectrum. The, the city believes this is a billion-dollar-plus case. Uh, and they could just roll it, you know, just clean house here and, and and claim a monetary remedy that could be maybe in excess of five billion or ten billion. And the NFL sees this as a much smaller damage case uh, because they're confident that an appeals court would reverse those parts of the lawsuit that recognize the NFL relocation criteria as a contract or allow the city to recover a disgorgement remedy, which could potentially create a windfall for the city of St. Louis that would put it in a better position than if the wrong or the breach had never occurred. So there's risk on both sides. But at this point, they see this case through two completely different lenses. So in terms of the payment of money, I don't see how you bridge the gap. But but that's where the, uh, the expansion possibility comes into play, because it allows the NFL to create uh, or make the city of St. Louis whole without writing a check for $2 billion and without Stan Kroenke. Importantly, Stan Kroenke having to write a check to his partners to indemnify them for all costs, losses, and damages in this lawsuit. If this judgment were to go to trial and the jury were to return a billion, multi-billion dollar verdict, uh, Kroenke presumably is going to be responsible for that. And that's not a situation that he wants to find himself in with a net worth barely a little bit more than what the final you know final judgment number could be this is this could be disastrous Dan Wall Dan Kroenke and certainly disastrous for the NFL 
Dan Wallach, the legal analyst at The Athletic and the co-host of the Conduct Detrimental Podcast, joining us here on 101 ESPN. And Dan, obviously, Stan Kroenke and the NFL don't want to be on the hook for the money if that were to come down. But how badly do you think that Kroenke and Jerry Jones and the other owners want to avoid being placed under oath and being put on the stand? Well, I mean, their net worth is, is, is well-known. The statements that they've made are well-known. Certainly the embarrassment that they would face of having their uh, internal uh, deliberations held up to public scrutiny would be pretty bad, but not as bad as being on the hook potentially for uh, you know a billion-dollar-plus final judgment. What I was trying to get to earlier was that because of the divide between these parties, the expansion franchise is a very useful and valuable settlement chip to kind of cre- to kind of make both parties whole in a way where they walk away happy, where the NFL does not have to write that kind of a big number check. But you raise a very interesting and important point. Uh, think of when this trial is going to be occurring. Mid-January, it's going to last eight weeks. This is at a time when the NFL is preparing uh, for the Super Bowl at, at where? SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, California, and where might the championship games be played in the AFC and the NFC the week or two weeks before? SoFi Stadium. This could potentially overshadow the NFL's Super Bowl week activities and really cast a pale over the entire event, which is why I think that, you know, saner heads prevail and the NFL, you know, comes to a, a realization that granting the city of St. Louis an expansion franchise is a way to, number one, eliminate the risk of a a billion-dollar-plus recovery, which could uh, hold up on appeal and could remove the league's activities from public scrutiny in front of a trial in a courthouse that will be attended by the public and will not have the type of secrecy and, uh, and, and confidentiality that has existed throughout the pretrial litigation proceedings. It all comes into plain view on January 10th. Dan, has any of this surprised you with the success that the St. Louis side has had in winning so many of these judgments? Uh, well, they haven't won any judgments. As I, as well, I what's the word I'm looking for? Not, not the judgments, winning the arguments to keep so many aspects of this yeah. uh, alive so far. Yeah, listen, you've got to run a gauntlet. Uh, the city of St. Louis had to avoid arbitration, avoid dismissal on a motion to dismiss, avoid a dismissal on motion for summary judgment, avoid a transfer of the of the of the you know venue of the jury. I'm sorry, a transfer of of the jury trial outside of St. Louis, one after another. It's almost like a uh, an at large uh, NCAA team unseated. You're running the table in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. You take that, multiply it by ten, a factor. Of 10, and that's what the city of St. Louis has accomplished. So they're still standing. And when you're in the position of having survived all these pretrial challenges and, and the defendant is an out-of-state multi-billion-dollar corporation with the lead individual defendant, a despised individual, not just within the city of St. Louis, but probably within the entire state of Missouri, uh, that places uh, you know, sort of the realization upon the defendant's that this is not going to go well at trial. And you have to remember, this is really important. I can't stress it enough. While the league can take the view that they're getting home cooked or getting home cooking in front of a Missouri state court system, the, once this goes to a jury verdict and there are so many factual questions bundled up into whether there was a contract and whether the city of St. Louis could be an intended beneficiary or third party beneficiary. These are not just purely legal questions. These are factual questions that might be raised by the ambiguity within the policy and by consideration of external documents. 
such as the uh, agreement that the NFL reached with the U.S. Conference of Mayors 20 years ago, which led to the creation of the internal guidelines, testimony by Paul Tagliabu, correspondence between the NFL and the U.S. Conference of Mayors. There's a lot of factual information that a jury will be charged with sifting through and making a factual determination as to whether there was a contract here. And in my view, once it goes to a jury verdict, an appellate court would be less likely to reverse and disturb a jury finding based upon uh, factual considerations rather than a pure question of law. So uh, why has it gotten this far? Why has the city of St. Louis been so successful? Well, certainly Missouri law plays a large part in this. The state court system is certainly perceived to be more beneficial. Uh, to, to, to local plaintiffs and maybe a federal court system. So the location geographically, the venue of being in state court with the uh, benefits also you know, covered under Missouri law, which provide a very broad reach to the notion of unjust enrichment and uh, you know, sort of a confluence of different events, as well as very good lawyering, uh, gives the city of St. Louis the unique position to be in a, a situation to achieve something that was unheard of two months ago before the summary judgment ruling. Great information from Dan Wallach, the legal analyst at The Athletic and the co-host of the Conduct Detrimental podcast. Be sure to check out all of his great work and follow him on Twitter at Wallach Legal. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure as always. Say hello to Randy. I'll, I'll catch him Wednesday. We're doing a town hall and he's a participant on it. So just to let your audience know, I guess they're listening to uh, go to Conduct Detrimental's uh, website and get all the information. We're having a live town hall hearing uh, this Wednesday morning at 11 and later at 9 p.m., both Central Time, with Randy Carricker, Tim McKernan, uh, Ben Albright, Andrew Brandt. It is, it is going to be chock full of information about this lawsuit. That sounds amazing, Dan. And thanks for that plug. A lot of people in St. Louis interested in that. So we'll be sure to tune in. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michelle. Have a great day. Nice talking to you, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Dan. You too, Dan. Take care. All right, that's Dan Wallach, legal analyst at The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, Michelle Smallman with you. We're going to get a little bit more of your reaction about the NFL potentially coming back to St. Louis, and we'll wrap the show. That's next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Is Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman and Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, hanging out with you all morning. And we wanted to let you know that you can join 101 ESPN for a Blues season preview party this Friday at Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. The Blues are kicking off the regular season on Saturday, and to celebrate, we're going to host a day-long live broadcast at Copper Fire on Friday. BK and Ferrario will be there from 11 to 2. The Fast Lane is going to be there from 2 to 6. And then we're going to do a live last-minute Blues podcast with Jamie Rivers, Donnie Fandango and Jeff Burton from 6 to 7. There's going to be special guests popping in, appetizer specials, specialty drinks, and a blues giveaway every single hour from 11 to 7. You could get your chance to win a signed puck, a signed Ryan O'Reilly jersey, a Market Street Dream lithiograph from artist Rick Rush, and much more. It's 101 ESPN's Blues Season Preview Party this Friday at Copper Fire in Belleville. You can get all the details at 101ESPN.com and Curbs. I know we also have another campaign running that's near and dear to your heart yeah so and, and a big thanks to 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 maggie Toklowski for 
helping get this thing rolling and the sales staff here too as well they took an idea and they they, they ran with it great so uh, and, and a big thanks to regions bank and york for helping make this happen but we we, we kicked it off last week it's the be big campaign we're trying to get 101 big brothers and big sisters matched up with littles over the next 101 days and there are over 500 littles waiting to be matched and, and COVID has impact this and uh, so what you need to do is you need to go to 101ESPN.com slash be big and we're trying to and we're doing a great job working with uh, big brothers big sisters of eastern Missouri the process is simple Read about it, understand it. If you want to become a mentor, which is such a rewarding thing, I've done it both here in St. Louis and and in Springfield, Massachusetts, when I was working there. You become a mentor. You spend the minimum requirement that they ask is four hours a month. Think about that: one mm-hmm. hour a week to have a major impact on a, on a young on a young man, a young woman, a young boy, a young girl, and and it really is phenomenal. And it, look, it, it is an application process where there's a vetting process, there's an interview process. They've got to go and they've got to check references, do background checks because you're working with kids. But they do such a great job matching with you you with people. So, um, 101 bigs in 101 days. I think we can do it. We need the listeners out there. Look, the majority of these on the list are boys. We need big brothers. Mm-hmm. We need big brothers. So for all the guys out there listening, you can be a dad like I am and still do it. it, it and it's it's not the time commitment that you think. Go to 101ESPN.com slash be big. It, it'll be awesome. That's a great campaign. 101ESPN.com slash be big. Yep. We, we need your help here. Well, Curbs, I guess the story of the day for us is the pro football talk report that a new NFL team could be dangled as part of a potential settlement in the Rams relocation case because the NFL realizes that St. Louis is winning and they want to, as Dan Wallach just uh, laid out for us, avoid that big settlement, the billions of dollars that they could be on the hook for. So uh, in league circles, it's being floated around that a, a a team in St. Louis, a new team, might be cheaper. We've been hearing from people all day long about if they would support an NFL team if the league did, in fact, come back to St. Louis. And I have a poll up right now on my Twitter page, at M. Smallman, and it's only been up for an hour. Over 2,000 people have voted already. 70% of people say, yes, I will support the NFL if it comes back to St. Louis. 70%. That it's is not a, a small number. No, and it's, and it's not a shocker either. Because it's, it's a not great a shocker either. Right. No, it's it's a forgive and forget and, and bring bring it back is what they want. Me personally, no, I don't want to see it. I'm intrigued by something Dan said real quick. You know, you know the fact that that we know that it was it was in the deal with the move that if there's any legal costs hitting the league or other owners that Stan Kroenke's on the hook for it. Mm-hmm. You imagine a several billion dollar settlement that still wins on appeal. You know, and I mean, and it ends up in some ways or respects. Crushing Cronky. So in the in I the mean that is a talk. there is a fascinating aspect to, to this, and I mean, and if you are a vindictive vengeance type of person, oh yeah, you know, or you really like, <laughs> boy, this one could be fun. So in the Pro Football Talk article, they did talk about that mm-hmm. that Cronky has agreed to indemnify the rest of the league, pay for it for whatever the verdict might be, and that the lawyers have told the other owners that this commitment is ironclad. There's concern that the eventual judgment in the case could be big enough to get Kroenke to try not to honor it. You wouldn't say that the judgment could be so big and it could be in the billions that Stan Kroenke would also not want to pay for the other owner's part in this. It would force say. him to have to sell the Rams just to be able to cover the judgment. <laughs> like there is there is some amazing irony in that, wouldn't that be? I mean, I know I'm thinking pie in the sky down the road there, but it's well, uh, it's intriguing. 
I wonder if see it through for the love of God, as I've said, <laughs> see this through. But the interesting thing that we learned today, a huge portion of our listening audience has forgiveness in their hearts and they would be willing to support a team if, in fact, the NFL came back to St. Louis. Chris Kerber, thank you for spending the morning with us. It was great to it. see you. Good seeing you too, Michelle. And looking forward to hearing you officially in action. You have, of course, been in all the preseason action, but this Saturday night, Saturday night. Blues Avalanche pregame starting at 7 p.m. You can hear Chris Kerber, Joy Vidali, Alex Ferrario, the whole gang, all of your Blues coverage here on 101 ESPN. Emily Butcher, thank you so much for all your work today. Thank you. And coming up next, Danny Mack is off. We have four hours of BK and Ferrario. That that's coming your way next, so keep it here on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.